Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, it's another episode of Trash Cinema, Season 4. We are launching with uh, a double feature of the Alan Quartermain films from Canon Pictures, 85 and 87. I'm your host, Michael. On the other side, Kent is back. Thank you, Kent, for filling in during that little gap, and uh, welcome back to Season 4. No worries, Michael. Glad to, uh, glad to be of assistance, mate. All right. So what were the ones you did again? Condor Man? Was it Black Hole? Uh, no, Condor Man, uh, Crawl. Right. And Space Hunter. Space Hunter. Forgot about that one. Okay. Um, so that was kind of like your winter fill-in. Um, so basically this theme for the summer is going to be high adventure. We're going to be doing episodes where we discuss like the American Ninja film series, uh, Deathstalker film series, and I think uh, we talked about doing Warrior and the Sorceress. We'll probably find another sword and sorcery movie to throw in there. But right now we're going to be doing kind of like the Indiana Jones ripoff flicks of the 80s. The Kmart Indiana Jones movies, though. <laughs> well, they were higher level, though, because, you know, there was tons of those Italian rip-off flicks, usually with, like, David Warbeck and stuff like that, but these were, like, decent budget uh, spin-offs, and, and I almost consider Firewalker part of this world because of the same time. Um, didn't they even share a director, J. Lee Thompson? Yeah, totally. Yeah, J. Lee Thompson. I mean, he's... Um... He, he's a real legend coming to these uh, canon movies. I mean, guy directed the original Cape Fear, Guns of the Navarone, um, Taras Bulba. Uh, then, of course, the canon films. He did Death Wish 4, uh, Firewalker, as you mentioned. Uh, and, uh, of course, the, the, first, uh, the first movie, King Solomon's Mines. Um, you know, so he was just, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big... You know, he's a pretty big name to get to. Uh, Canon always seemed to have the knack to get big names uh, involved. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of their productions were heavy on uh, paying a big name director and a big name actor, but sometimes skimping on the actual budget. Totally, totally. But, I mean, King Solomon's Minds, I mean, uh, you know, in, in, in context of looking at it alongside something like Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is what they were, you know, evidently trying to uh, to, to cash in on the success of, of the Raiders and whatnot. It's got like it's not it's not too shabby. I mean, it's it's not like a boring. I mean, a lot of people might you know they think canon, they think oh ho hum, you know, but it's not a boring picture at all. It really just keeps moving and moving and moving. You, there's there's very little. There's very little sort of uh, time to stop and smell the roses for Richard Chamberlain and uh, Sharon Stone in the picture. I mean, when they're not um, when they're not uh, you know setting at the task at hand, which is is to help Sharon Stone find her uh, find her dad. They're uh, they're being chased. They're being um, you know there's there's uh, trains, there's planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, <laughs> There's there's uh, there's being uh, cooked in a giant uh, soup pot. Um, there's of course the the, the mine uh, inside the mine itself, but there's it really just keeps moving and moving and moving. Like there's you know just just when they get out of one fix, another one comes in, and it's it's you know it's it's really it's really healthy. It's good it's good adventure uh, cinema. I, I remember actually seeing this one at the cinema, not just on video. 
the first one, the second one was, was straight to video, but um, yeah, really healthy stuff, a lot of fun, and um, yeah. Was the first one a hit where you are? Uh, King Sol, yes, yeah, the first one, I mean, it seems to be, it seemed to be the trend with uh, with Canon pictures, like the first one, they seem to spend more money on the first one, and then the second one was like, well, you know, in a lot of cases, the money that they raised, you know, why, why, why sort of have one when we can have two? Because there was a lot of instances where they just um, they just went ahead and, and made a sequel. Like in the case of the the Chuck Norris uh, missing missing in action movies, they were were filming uh, two of them, and uh, Lance Hull um, of of um, Steel Dawn fame, the Patrick Swayze Wasteland movie. <laughs> Uh, filmed the first one, and they were making the second one, but it turns out when, when they saw rushes for the second one, they said, well, the second one's really better than the first one. So they actually re- uh, released the second one first uh, because by all by all accounts, the second one was um, was a lot better. And the first one, the, you know, the market, you know, and it was bad. They go, oh, well, you know, no one's going to care about the second one. So they put the second one out first and then released the first one. But in the case of King's Holland's Mods, you can see that there's a little bit more, a uh, little bit more money, time, and effort all around put into the the first one. Yeah, well, I actually um, feel like the second one has a better budget. I feel like the set design, the little like you know how Indiana Jones always has like every ten minutes the traps, um, some sort of high end kind of uh, cliffhanger. And I feel like the yeah. second one has a better pattern of that, also better effects. They have James Earl Jones, which couldn't have been cheap because he was coming off of Conan. And, in Star Wars, yeah, it's, but it's, the second one didn't go straight to video here, but it did bomb horribly. For some stupid reason, they released it like the first week of January, and it made $4 million against the $15 million that the first one made. Canon Pictures would do this kind of thing where they would just basically shoot themselves in the foot by not properly planning a release and doing way too movies. Didn't they set a record for like doing 52 movies in one year in 86? Yeah, it was crazy. I um, mean, anyone... Um, I mean, there's a lot of good books, but the, um, a shout-out to a local filmmaker here, Mark Hartley, who's responsible for some really great documentaries, uh, most notably Not Quite Hollywood, which is about the exploitation era. Um, he did do one called Machete Maidens Unleashed, which is about the uh, all of the movies made in the Philippines with Roger Corman um, in the 60s and 70s. But more recently, there is the wonderful um, Electric Boogaloo, the untold story of, of Canon Pictures. Um, yeah, that's the better really, of the two. There's a second one that I thought was kind of dry. Like, it just wasn't really that interesting. The guys who made Electric Boogaloo really know how to make something interesting as well as informative. Yeah, totally. And it was, um, it's, it's, it's such a great, I mean, there's, there's, there's documents either way, whether it be documentaries or books. Uh, I know when I was talking to uh, last year, Stephen Weeks, who directed a film for them, uh, sort of the Valiant with Sean Connery. Um, that he had a terrible, terrible experience. He had nothing nice to say about uh, about the Go Go Boys, um, <laughs> and it was uh, you know all all sorts of uh, horror stories. You know he wasn't paid his complete fee. Uh, there was never enough money. Um, they was were had to ring up, and the the release was botched. Like you were just talking about, the release of the film was botched terribly. It ended up playing for like two weeks in some theater that originally just played porno movies. Um, it's never been properly released in its full format. You know, lots of 
um, you know, lots of a lot of rush jobs. Like they, they seem to like, you know, we're going for the whole quantity instead of quality thing. Yeah. But um, not the case. I mean, King Solomon's Mines is, is a really great. I mean, like you said, um, you know that the, the Richard Chamberlain uh, was was um, you know reasonably big at that time. Sharon Stone, interesting story on that documentary for anyone's who who, who hasn't heard it. Um, it's actually a story told by Gary Nelson, who directed uh, The Lost City of Gold, the second one. Uh, he heard the story that uh, that uh, Menachem wanted. Uh, he says, you know, give me that, uh, give me that stone woman, give me that stone woman. And when they cast Sharon Stone, goes, who's this? Because what he was really meaning is he wanted oh, uh, Kathleen gotcha, Turner from yeah. re- re- from a, from Romancing the Stone. Um, <laughs> You know, because he'd seen that and he goes, oh, yeah, that's that's the sort of movie we need. That's the kind of woman we need. But uh, that's what he was on about. Huh. Give me that stone one, not, um, not Sharon Stone. Um, and apparently one another great story is, is that Richard Chamberlain tells in that documentary, Sharon Stone was, was universally despised um, on the South African uh, shoot of this movie, so much so that when they do the scene, when they're in the big uh, soup pot, um, a lot of the... Uh, Disgruntled extras and camera crew took uh, turns taking a whiz oh. uh, in the in the water. So when she do- dove in, it was like, oh, what's this? Ew, this water's terrible. Yeah, so they, they, they exacted their revenge on Sharon. <laughs> well, I think it's um, funny that so the movies are written by Gene Quintano, who was uh, notorious yeah. at the time for doing Boys. Coming at You and Treasure of the Three Crowns, which were kind of well, one was a spaghetti western, one was a treasure hunting movie, but he ended up writing uh, uh, Police Academy, I think, three and four, which means yeah, he three, knew four, four. Sharon Stone was already a pain in the ass, yet she got cast in part four. That's strange. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and and a very great sort of um, comedy writer. I, I love his film, that, that spoof of Lethal Weapon, which is called Loaded Weapon. Yeah. Uh, which... He, well, yeah, and uh, he wrote Sudden Death, a Van Damme movie, so... Which is weird because guys... there's no sense of humor in that one at all, which is kind of signature of all his movies is that they're action comedies, and yet there's not even yeah. a moment of levity in Sudden Death, so it's, it's kind of strange. You wonder if it was taken away from him and rewritten. Probably. Like, he probably did a... <laughs> he probably did a... Uh, like, in a lot of cases, probably handed in a draft, and it might have been... You know, there might have been too many you know, one-liners or something, so they just uh, excised them. But um, like you said, a lot of these uh, a lot of these movies had big casts. I mean, in the first one, in, in King Solomon's Mines, you've got John Rhys-Davies, who did a lot of uh, canon movies. He was also in Sword of the Valiant, which I was talking before. Um, Herbert Long is a, is a really a legendary actor. He was in Spartacus, El Cid, did a lot of the Pink Panther movies. Uh, David Cronenberg's Dead Zone he was in as well Um, so you know and uh, another actor that is not credited um, that he's in there is Bernard um, Archard who was also in uh, in Kroll Um, also played uh, the dad in that the the father of the princess okay Um, so yeah but he is not he is not credited in the credits Bernard Um, but he's um He's uh, Sharon's long-suffering father, who you see getting whipped uh, constantly by Herbert Long, getting cropped uh, <laughs> on, on numerous occasions because he will not give up the secret uh, 
uh, to King Solomon's mines. But, um, yeah, but it's, it's, like I said, great fun. I mean, like I said, you're never really bored, you know. Well, there's a lot of people ho-hum when you talk about canon movies. Like, oh, ho-hum, they're canon movies, they're, you know. But they really don't, They, you know, they, they on both these movies, they didn't really shirk... Um, as far as as, as fun, no, I, I feel like they, yeah. it was post eighty seven is when the budget started collapsing and started yeah. cutting more corners. And I, I'm not sure if he did, if he produced this one, but Harry Allen Towers became a big part of that second run of Canon Pictures after what Monaco went off on his own with Twenty First Century, right? Yes, totally. Yeah, and and this was yeah, during we, that period where uh, Herbert Lom and Harry Allen Towers they made a lot of movies together for canon, and they're always based on classic books. Uh, we had yeah. uh, River of Death, we had the the Family Opera, Mask of Red Death. You know, they were doing a lot of these classic stories. I don't know how Harry Allen Towers was able to make these truly beautiful movies on like a two million dollar budget, and he always got guys like Herbert Lom and then uh, oh crud, he played uh, Oliver Reed. You know. Uh, you know, guys like that, Jack Palance to show up. He, he made he made low budget junk um, when you look at the numbers, but he always showed up like they look great. Yeah, totally. I mean, even in even like you can see sort of inconsistencies in certain films where they were going for the these obviously beauty shots. Like if you watch, um, if you watch like even in King Solomon's Mines, there's this there's this beautiful um, sort of slightly out of almost through a little haze, like these magical sort of moments where it's, you know, it's, uh, it reminds me of, of Jeffrey Unsworth's photography where he always saw everything through a little haze, you know, it was slightly, slightly magical, slightly untouched. Like when it comes to the moments where they kiss or like in that moment where they, uh, they hook up with those natives that, uh, are trying to change the world by living upside down, you know, um, <laughs> You know, and they're swinging around. They wash their clothes for them, and it's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a nice, quiet little moment where they sit there. Oh, look at these wonderful little natives, and they're living upside down. And you know, of course, Richard knows the legend, knows everything. He's been walking around. Ah, oh, these are that. You know, they remind me of that. You know, I, I know you didn't like uh, uh, what's the name? Who are bowls? In the name of the king, but yeah. it kind of remind me of that. Christina Logan's tribe that they sort of hook up with briefly. Who? <laughs> that, uh, yeah, yeah. I was just. I really wish I could have liked those movies more. Um, what I feel yeah. like there's a lot of magic missing from Yule Bowl's movies. It almost seems like a cynical cash grab. Where um, people do complain about canon, you know how they were cutting corners a lot and kind of getting in the way of the actual filmmaker. But I do truly believe yeah. they loved film. There's no reason why oh. anybody would make 52 movies in a year. You know, and, and even though they were drowning in debt, they would just keep. I mean, they sh nobody stopped them, and I think it's because it wasn't about greed; it was about creating as much art as they possibly could in a short amount of time. It's as if they knew their time was going to be short, so they just burned out fast. There's something legendary about that company. Whenever you see that logo, you get kind of giddy because you, you know what? They hardly ain't made any really truly great films. I mean, Runaway Train's great. But you're going to have a fun time. It's, it's, it's like, remember those old days of finding them on VHS or going to the drive-in or, you know, that Saturday syndicated, you know, just in the middle of the afternoon, burn it, you know, burn an afternoon by watching ninja movies. Totally. Totally. There's nothing like a, I actually went to a really great event uh, some years back. It was called American Ninja New Year's Eve. 
and they played all of the American Ninja movies huh. uh, in a row with uh, with like just copious amounts of beer and pizza. It was a wonderful evening. Um, even Five, which I know that you're not. Yeah, five. Well, five isn't even technically American Ninja movie. They added that name later. I know, but it's it, it's kind of fun. You got to It's kind of fun when they when whenever they you know and Pat Morita's in it. I mean, come on. Yeah, well, I get I mean, that. <laughs> the uh, so which franchises survived past canon going out of business? Was it only American Ninja and Death Wish? Were those the only two to continue? I, I think so. I think so. There were just just off the top of my head, I can't. I can't think of any that really, you know, because, I mean, they had, the the thing is, when they went under, they had so much in the pipeline, um, you know, and they they were always, I mean, you've got to give Monarchum, I mean, he, I mean, if you you watch that documentary, he could come up with stuff, like, on the spot, you know, whether it was a film they were making or a film that they were trying to sell, because when they would go to the Cannes Film Festival, when they would go to the market there, they didn't have any product. They had posters because a lot of some of the people they speak to didn't, you know. Uh, there's a famous story, you know, he hooked up with one Italian producer who, who couldn't understand him, but he would show him the poster and, and say, look at this, you can have this, you know, this is marvelous. And look, it's got Charles Bronson or Charles. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot <laughs> of know? those, isn't there? There's a lot of posters that they would put out for movies that were non existent that didn't happen. I think Roger Moore was on a few of them, Charles Bronson was like in every one of them. Uh, wasn't yeah. Chuck Norris originally supposed to be the star of Avenging Force and it was supposed to be like a sequel to, um, totally. what's that one where the Russians take over, the Cubans take over Florida? What the hell's that one called? Oh. Beijing um, USA? Beijing. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, he was like, they had the, the <laughs> David Duval tells a great story on the documentary because he was a script reader for them. And he said there was a pile for the, the two Chucks. Like, it goes either in the Charles Bronson <laughs> pile or the, or the Chuck Norris pile. Like, even if it was some ridiculous idea, they would do, oh, who would more likely do it? Would Charles Bronson do it or would Chuck Norris do it? Because um, their whole thing was like, they, as much as they were, would go ahead in a lot of ways, they were still trying to model themselves after Hollywood and have a stable of actors that they would just keep putting in movies. Like, Michael Dudikoff did, you know, numerous and, I mean, he was set to be Spider-Man at one point yeah. as, he, as he told the story. There's even a poster on what you can find of him, uh, the, you know, Michael Dudikoff Spider-Man movie. And, um, you know, so it was just that in a lot of ways reckless, in many ways fearless. Um, and it's it's, it, it's re- it, you can see how it would have been infectious even though you weren't being paid and working ridiculous hours. Uh, to be around guys like that, if you love movies and want to work in movies, it would have been like such a such a glorious. Uh, I mean, I would. I look if I could go back in, in another life and another time and and uh, and get a job working for Canon. Um, that would be just incredible. And I mean, there's the thing is, there's a lot of successful companies that did do what they were doing uh, and 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 did well. Like Charles Band is one of them. Um, with Empire and, and Full Moon. Um, I mean, because I've spoken to writers that have worked, uh, that did work um, under him, like Danny Bilson, one of them, uh, Courtney Joyner, another. And a lot of times they just had a poster. You would show them a poster. Say, we, need a, we need a script for this. It's fascinating. Right? It's truly fascinating. It's still yeah, going but... today because you saw the Millennium, uh, the ad they put out for cans. Or Have you seen it yet? 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, they, they're already selling Expendables 4, even though they have nobody signed, Mechanic 3, stuff like They're selling movies that they don't even have really together. And you're just like, that's that's a canon ballsy move. And look, 30 years later, it's still happening. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, a lot of the same, some of the same guys who were there, um, still in Millennium. I mean, um, Arvi Lerner, I think his name is. Um, I think he still has a lot to do with, with Millennium. Because I had a friend, uh, he's a screenwriter in Hollywood, who went in for a meeting uh, for their, their, their hell-bent on getting Red Sonja um, off the ground at some point. But uh, he, he went in for a meeting, he says, I don't know how it'll go, you know. Uh, because they're not, like, they're never interested in using the, the comic books. They said, you know, that's, you know... The, because like he's he's a fan of the comics and and, uh, and the books as well, but they said, oh no, we, you know, we don't, we just want to, you know, <laughs> just make another film, you know, don't, yeah, don't become, you know, hemmed in by the books or the comic books. We just just write a just write us a good, you know, adventure and it's got Red Sonja in it and it's a female Conan movie. That always know. goes wrong. <laughs> that always goes wrong when someone just grabs a license or, or just the name and they don't go anything with the original story. That I think that pisses people off. That's what was wrong with the 2011 yeah. Conan. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, and, 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 it, and it was really a lot of, uh, a big part of Ua Bowl's sort of downfall. Like he, when I spoke to him, albeit briefly, uh, I, I said, all of these licenses for these video games that you made films on, I said, did you go after them? Do you like video? He says, no, they, he said, no one cared about them. No one wanted them. So I, they just gave them to me. Shocking you know? because you and think he, Far Cry is a hot yeah. game and they, they just gave that away. Weird. Yeah. yeah and I said, they, you know, they, he said, they just didn't care. So, huh. so they, they, they just let me make, you know, and he would just, you know, I mean, it was like, um, oh, jeez. What's his name? Doug, Doug Taylor, who did um, In the Name of the King. And when he was asked to write the script for that, he was like, I was going to sit down and play the game, but he said at the start of the game, there's like this whole massive, uh, almost like a uh, the backstory all comes up before the game begins. Uh, and so he said, I really didn't have to play the game. I just read all this uh, propaganda at the start of the game and that's what I based the script on, um, you know. But, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of that. I mean, whenever there's, you know, whenever there's a popular film that someone's trying to cash in on as far as making a, making either a, a, a sequel or a rip-off or a reboot of, you know, there's... There's really no attention paid. Look, there was a really great article online the other day about how video video game movies could be fixed if they really took advantage and sort of delved into, you know... The lore that's created the, the game. It seems like they always lore. ignore the game. Yeah, totally. What? I mean, and look, Rampage... Look, a lot of people said Rampage is shit. I personally enjoyed it. I thought for what they had to work with... Because uh, let's face it, it's a game. If you've, if anyone out listening has ever played Rampage, you know you get to choose between one of three monsters and you destroy a city uh, and eat people and knock helicopters out of the sky and stuff like that. And I thought really the story that they managed to to interweave into that was quite quite clever, considering the game really doesn't have a 
Uh, <laughs> right. It, yeah, there was the, the old school games hardly had any story, whereas the new ones seem to be almost drowning in story, which I'm not sure which I prefer. I, when it comes to video games, I kind of just want to play it. I don't want to, you know, if I want to read a book, I'll read a book. Totally. The, uh, but, but the um, Cannon Boys, they, uh, they would pick classic stories that were universal that everybody knew. They would sometimes divert from the, I mean, of course, the Hercules storyline, you know, that can be open to any interpretation. You know, they, those two movies are a blast because they took an idea and just said, well, let's just do whatever. But with these two movies, I never read any more than King Solomon's Mind, but it seems like they kind of stayed on point with the story. Oh, totally. I mean, they do They do follow, um, for anyone who's actually read um, H. Ryder Haggard's books, they, they, do, they do stick with, albeit liberally, um, the, the plot of, of the books. But, um, you know, of course, you know, you're dealing with two guys in, in Golan and, and Globus that, um, well, one, one in particular, in Menachem Golan, who, who really love, you know, for, for everything that, that people might say and everything that he was and everything that he did, the dude loved his movies and he knew what he liked when he saw it. And it wasn't unusual for him, if you've read books and seen documentaries, for him to be sitting there and saying, no, no, this, or he'd be on the set of someone else's movie. No, do it like this, do it like this, you know, and he would help cut the trailers and he would help, you know, he was very much involved and he knew what, well, he knew what he thought he knew that people wanted and liked and, and, you know, if anything, the whole quantity thing is what killed them trying to do so many movies at once instead of, uh, like they say, making, making a couple and, and, and putting time into them, have them come out and be successful and then make more, they were always like, no, no, we got to, you know, oh, yes, we've got this actor, we've got this script, good. Get, yeah, we got yeah, go, 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 yeah, do it, do it, yeah. Well, <laughs> if you look, you know. there's, there's the point where you see where the company falls apart is between Masters of the Universe and Superman 4. Masters of the Universe, right. still shocked to this day, wasn't a much bigger hit. I mean, I'm not saying that it's a phenomenal film, but it's pretty damn good, and it looks amazing. And, and Dolph Lundgren was red hot after Rocky IV, and I thought right. that movie would have been better. But since it didn't bring enough of money, you know, that at that point they were like, well, we're screwed on post-production on Superman IV. We already had to cut the budget yeah. so much because it was supposed to be a $30, mo- $30 million movie, then it became like, what, seventeen? And that's yeah. that's when people kind of wash their hands of canon. Superman IV was that point where they're just like, these guys are junk. They're never going to hit the big time. Yeah, no, and it was it was really sad to see because they they did manage to get everyone back. I mean, you've got Christopher Reeve, you've got Mark McClure, you've got Margot, you've got uh, uh, oh jeez, if you Gene the dude, Hackman, Perry, uh, Gene Hackman. I mean, they got everyone involved, and it just you know, I mean, and and it was an interesting story too. Like, why doesn't Superman save the world? You know, I mean. It's you know what what you know, and and it, it did deal with something. And Christopher Ree was involved in the this this writing of the story and whatever. And so it it was really a lost opportunity on their behalf because you know you can't make those kinds of movies um, on the cheap and come off as you know this is a seriously big movie. Um, because from the look of it, from the outset, it looked, oh, this, oh, wow, another Superman movie. But then you watch it and you go, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's... And, and, 
it, because of that, it's just why they could never get Spider-Man and Captain... Well, they did get Captain America going, but a much, much lower budget, which is really bad. Um, but it does seem like the only thing that kept them alive for a while was the... Oh my god, I forgot. There's a franchise that continued Bloodsport. Bloodsport and uh, Cyborg There's... both continued oh. after... Um, they went over to Vidmark, I think. But, you know, it was basically those movies were keeping alive. You know, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme saved Canon Pictures. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so yeah, I forgot about Bloodsport. Bloodsport too. Yeah, yeah but, uh, you know, Van, I mean, um, it was interesting what they, they commented on Van Damme towards the end when, when Albert Pune is, is interviewed in the documentary that um, he was more interested in being a star on the prize than being an actual actor. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and it kind of, I mean, the reason why a lot of those guys kind of went that way is because they were kind of one-trick ponies. I mean, if you watch most Van Damme movies, I mean, he's, he's trying to diversify a little bit now, but he was kind of always the guy who, you know, who was some, you know, the, the, there's a lot of them. <laughs> it's like Adam Sandler action movies. They're all kind of this, a very similar plot, um, you know, and then he tried to be a director and, um, <laughs> and then made uh, movies like the, the the Quest. Yeah, uh, oh, way after you know, the fact. The, he shouldn't have made it so late. It, that's the kind of movie that should have been happening like four years earlier, five years earlier. Yeah, totally. But um, you know, it's it's a shame. But um, you know, the the whole there's really a kind of a when we talk about the the second one, the Lost City of Gold. There's kind of a little subgenre there because that's where you get like movies like Firewalker. And do you, remember, do you remember that movie Yellow Hair and the and the barely, Lost? Barely, uh, barely. I yeah. want to say that she was uh, in I the Jury. I, I think Lauren. Yeah. Was she Maniac Cop? Was she in the Maniac Cop? Yeah, yeah. I think she was in okay. Maniac Cop as well. But yeah, yeah. Yellow Hair and the and the and the, the it had a similar title in the Lost City of Gold or something like that. You know, and the trailer was like she's a female Indiana Jones. You know, and um, so yeah, it's um. You know, like, and like you said, there, James Earl Jones uh, in the movie. Gary Nelson directed it. He directed The Black Hole for Disney. Uh, made a lot of great pictures. Um, uh, Henry Silver, who I love. Oh, was God, he's play. so great. Everything in the 80s that was, like, cheesy awesome, he's in somehow. I don't. He must have had a hell of an agent <laughs> to get so many projects. I reckon, you know, he was you know, the bad guy and everything from, from Buck Rogers, Alligator... He was in the original Ocean's Eleven, Megaforce. Uh, you know, did uh, Above the Law with Steven Seagal, Dick Tracy. Uh, he's one of the mobsters in um, Jim Jarmusch's uh, Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. He had a bunch uh, of Italian great, flicks. Great Italian flicks. Like, I mean, they're cheesy. And yeah. Most people think they're garbage, but I love them. What's that one? Escape from the Bronx? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Escape from the Bronx. Oh, yeah, man. that's a yeah. Great one. He's a really like, and he was in this a uh, lot of. A lot of people don't know it or don't remember it. He played um, this guy in, in one of the only Australian vampire movies made from the Ozploitation era. It's called First. Yeah, um, I don't know that one. He's yeah, he's um, he plays uh, uh, kind of uh, he's one of the sort of the head vampires. In it. It's called First. Anyone listening? It's a uh, thanks to thanks to uh, Mark Hartley's documentaries, the re-release of exploitation movies are, are still in effect. Um, and uh, yeah, it's called First. And Henry Silver um, came over because a similar in, in a similar vein to Menachem Golan, 
uh, we had a producer over here. His name was um, Anthony I. Ganane, and uh, he uh, was working on a similar model to uh, Menachem Golan, where he would hire a couple of big actors, usually in the U.S. or British actors, and um, and make the movie over here in Australia, usually for uh, very low budget, and then release it. With, with all the big names on the marquee and, and hope and most of the time he did reasonably well. What's that one with Steve Rails back? Is it called Escape Two Thousand? Ah, Turkey Shoot. Turkey Shoot. No, we See? know it is Okay. Yeah, we know it is Turkey. Yeah, here so. it's called Escape Two Thousand, but here's the weird thing is yeah. Escape from the Bronx on video was sold as Escape Two Thousand. So I'm completely confused. <laughs> yeah. No, um, we we know it is we know it is Turkey Shoot, yeah. It's like a it's like a low-budget future uh, prison colony escape, prison escape movie, where they've uh, they've rounded up all the the bad people in the in the, in the world and, and send them off to this death camp, if you will, or a work camp or a concentration camp where they basically hunt them for sport on the side as well. So it's um it's uh, it's it's a great movie. It was universally despised <laughs> upon its release. Um, uh, Brian Trenchard Smith directed it, and and uh, not unlike when I spoke to him, I said not unlike John Carpenter when the when the thing came out, uh, and the thing was sort of universally despised because it came out the year of ET, um, and it was you know oh, we don't want to watch these this horrible alien movie we want a nice uh, happy you know warm cuddly fuzzy alien movie. And uh, he ended up doing Starman as, as Penance. Um, so too did Brian Trenchard after Turkey Shoot and the the incredible backlash he experienced. He went and did a nice, friendly uh, kids movie, BMX Bandits, um, after that to to regain some uh, <laughs> credibility, some I guess, if you want to put it in the main circles. Yeah. But you know, the only one that yeah. holds, I when you look at his movies, a lot of them are forgotten. I think the only ones that people really talk about are The Quest, which I think is called something else there, and Escape 2000. And, and I think Escape 2000 got remade a couple years ago with uh, Dominic Purcell. Yes, yes, yeah, it did, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it's weird, it's still, it was still released as Turkey Shoot <laughs> over here as well. There's there's a poster online where it's got Turkey Shoot on there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, poor Brian. I mean, he... Um, Made, he made a ton of wonderful movies, wonderful pictures. Uh, the Man from Hong Kong, um, Death Cheaters. There's this really great, absurd, it's completely absurd movie. It's called Stunt Rock. Oh. And it's basically um, <laughs> it's basically a movie where, because uh, he was good friends with this insane stuntman called Grant Page. Um, everyone could look it up, look him up on IMDb or whatever. Um Grant Page was like a completely gonzo, crazy, insanely, a lot of people might say stupid courage, but he did some of the craziest, wildest stunts. And basically he had a lot of footage of Grant doing a lot of his crazy stunts. And some Italian producer said after, um, I can't remember if it was after Dead End Drive-In or... I forget which film he did, but he did, it went really well. And this Italian producer said, I'll put money into whatever film you do next. And he had a lot of footage of Grant doing all these stunts. And he said, um, oh, rock and roll is big right now. 
and he said, if you could make a movie with a rock and roll band in it. So basically it intercuts between the weird group called Sorcery, I think their name was, and they were also amateur magicians. So they're a rock group of amateur <laughs> magicians. And um, so it's like a, it's weird. It's like a live concert show of them doing their, their thing, intercut with Grant Page doing all manner of stunts that you can think of um, from – from water skiing barefoot on a beach behind being behind a car to you know being set on fire and you know doing everything that he used to evidently love to do yeah. and managed to come through it. Um, <laughs> you know he's got a great book out um, if anyone's interested. It's called Man on Fire, um, which is his autobiography. Grant Page. He was um, yeah he was a crazy, crazy, wonderful, ridiculous legendary stuntman um largely forgotten yeah i think evil can evil is really the only one that's remembered from that era yeah i mean he gets overshadowed when they talk about famous stuntmen they talk about guys like Vic armstrong um you know and all that but but grant page is uh he yeah he and a lot of big movies too he did some of the big stunts in um when i spoke to philip mora uh, recently, um, I love his film Mad Dog Morgan. He famously granted the famous where where Dennis Hopper has this dream sequence where he imagines himself on fire, falling into falling off this cliff face into this uh, creek, and Grant's the guy who did the stunt. And basically, it was shot in reverse uh, because in the dream he looks like he comes out of the creek on fire um, and and sort of flies up onto the ledge. Um, but of course, it wasn't filmed that way. But because it's so dry here, um, down under, the day, the first time they, they set up to do it, he'd put all the gel on when it was ready to go, and by the time they were getting ready to set him on fire, a lot of the gel had dried. Oh, no. And so he was, he was literally burning. He had ah. massive uh, burns, and uh, there's, there's a great little documentary for anyone who watches the DVD of Mad Dog Morgan, where you see them quickly run in where he realises that he's in trouble and they have to quickly run and put him out and then he's sitting in the back of the ambulance and they're putting, you know, stuff on all the burns and he's sitting talking to Philip going, oh, I'm sorry that went wrong, mate. You know, it's just such a drying day and by the time they set me on fire, all the gel had dried up. So they came back a couple of, you know, a couple of days later and did it again. And, you know, so not only is he going to fall backwards uh, off this sort of precipitous uh cliff but he's set on fire while doing it and uh yeah crazy crazy <laughs> that the world of independent cinema is just so amazing because they really can't afford you know the big wire stunts the cgi the big set pieces they have to do what they have to do on a very small budget and you know those guys have kind of a gung-ho attitude like just just do this let's get this done you know and not in a negative way but it's just like this is an amazing ride let's go for it and i mean yes some things can go bad but it can also go bad on big movies and it kind of to wrap this episode up and this is gonna it looks like it's gonna be like kind of a multi-part series because you know we're talking about um um, basically, that's what Grindhouse and Trash Cinema was, all these independent movies that didn't get respect from the critics, from the studios, but the fans. The fans have always been there to support the this genre. Totally. And it's, um, it really, it, you know, the, there are so many, there are so many wonderful stories and, and anecdotes 
because this really was from an era of filmmaking. I mean, now, uh, famously as um, John Seal, the Academy winning um, Academy Award winning cinematographer, says on this documentary, he says nowadays you can't even light a match on a film set without you know <laughs> without all of this you know safety and precaution all sorts of stuff. Back then, you know. Bloke could do a stunt where he dives off a motorbike onto the bonnet of a car, smashes the windscreen, rolls off the back, and is supposed to land at a certain mark on the side of the road. They come up to him and he says, you're all right, mate, I have a VB, you'll be fine. <laughs> Dust him off and say, you have a beer, you'll be all right, mate. Uh, <laughs> but now, I mean, today it's completely different. I mean, there's uh, a ridiculous amount of, of uh, precautions and safety, but back then... When you're running and gunning and, and shooting from the hip, um, you know, there was no time for that sort of stuff. Just, you know, I think my leg's broken. Oh, you'll be right, mate. <laughs> Just duct tape it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, last year, I think, kind of was like our part one with the Hercules movies. Uh, this is kind of like its brother, the part two. And then uh, we're going to do a third one about Canon Pictures on our next episode. Next month is where we're going to discuss the American Ninja series. And you know what? At some point, I would love to discuss the Death Wish series because that is um, probably my favorite from them, even though in retrospect, I had seen only the TV versions for years. When you see the complete editions, you're like, oh, oh, wow. That is, ooh, that's hard to watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and they get, they, I mean, it just, <laughs> as, um, as, uh, as on that documentary too, I mean, it just, um, I love how they talk about how they sort of got more and more ridiculous, you know, like, uh, uh, just, you know, at, at, the, at the end, you know, Charles Bronson is, um, as they talk about on the set, he was more like a man golfing than acting. Oh. Because, you know, he had a, he had a, a, a Rolls Royce to ferry him from his trailer to the set, which was usually only a couple of hundred meters, and uh, <laughs> and you know he would get out and you know okay, okay Chuck, just uh, fire this bazooka over here, great, fine, boom, big explosion, just back in the Rolls Royce, back to the trailer for the <laughs> waiting for the next setup, you know. But um, you know it's it's kind of a sh- it's in a little ways it's a shame. Kind of like American Ninja 2 did, did degenerate because it did start off really well. Same with uh, with Death Wish. Um, and, but, you know, slowly as you, they get more and more ridiculous. And, I mean, three and f- well, four in particular is more like a comic book yeah, definitely. movie. <laughs> well, what, 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 but, I mean, what I'm interested in, though, is there's an era of Canon Pictures I really have never seen in its full edition is that 87 to, like, 90 of those... Um, you know how they shot the gore movies back to back, and they did another one. A camera was called Dragon Something. I had Oliver Reed in it, and Patrick Warburton, and I think uh, um, who played Catwoman again? Um, uh, she was on the thing. Whatever it was, but they did like these epic stories, you know, and and low budget, but really interesting in how they made them, and, and that kind of stuff is something I would love to discuss because nobody ever discusses those. And what about Michael yeah. Dudikoff's movies outside of the American Ninja? No one ever talks about Platoon Leader. No one ever talks about River of Death, Midnight Ride, stuff like that. And Canon yeah. Pictures has this huge catalog of really interesting movies. And in yes, most of them failed. Um, but that's kind of yeah. like something I would like to do within the next couple of years. Totally, totally. Wonderful. One, they, they really are wonderful movies. And, and I mean, Michael Dudikoff today, some, I mean... Fans of cinema will know who he is, but uh, a lot of people go Michael Who, yeah. right? You know, because he really was. I mean, they 
they were setting him up to be um, one of their marquee names. Um, but uh, as as in uh, as in Mark Hartley's documentary, it says they didn't. You know, they kind of just kept putting him in, in smaller and smaller movies rather than, you know, slowly build him up and put him in bigger, bigger movies. You know, and it just, you know, and, he, you know, last scene in that, uh, what, Navy Seals versus Zombies. Uh, uh. Yeah, <laughs> which is a terrible movie. I mean, it's, I, I have a personal for bad movies, but that was just crap. I'm sorry. Was, there's there's got to be an entertainment level, and then some of these movies just don't. I tried watching one called Drone Wars yesterday with Corey Nemec, and I'm like, it's an interesting yeah. idea, but man, is this dull. Cinetel Pictures is notorious for making movies that have interesting ideas, but just so yeah. damn boring. Yeah. It's like I, I reviewed one um, for, for a, a friend who's a publicist, and interviewed the lead actor it's um knights of the damned uh-huh and and i really wanted to love it because it was supposed to be like medieval knights versus zombies essentially uh but they kind of it started out okay and then it kind of just yeah and then the money ran out or they didn't have enough money in the first place but it's it, you know it's, it's still parts of it that are fun like i could see if they had a little bit more money it could have been a bit more tongue in cheek might have helped a little bit, but um, yeah, it's it's sad. It's sad, you know. It was like Planet of the Sharks. You really wanted to love that movie. It, it, it uh, you know, it, it kind of had a nice sort of Waterworld meets uh, John, Deep Blue Sea. Yeah, yeah. yeah it the, just uh, it's just shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it happens, man. There's a lot of stuff out there, and some of it just falls apart. Um, is there anything you want to yeah. pitch before we go? Ah no, it's uh, it's great to be back. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to the other ones, and uh, and uh, yeah, I look forward to talking with you some more American Ninjas and Death Stalkers, and uh, you can catch me um, on podcasting softly as usual. And uh, yeah, great fun. Yeah, if you Trash like, if you love this uh, niche genre, uh, seriously, he's been writing and interviewing great people that are in that scene that their stories really have not been told. Oh, totally, and there, and there's a lot of really, um, you know, there's a there's a lot that you don't know until you really talk to them, and that's why I sort of go after them because uh, there's so much. Like one recently, very quickly, was was talking with Tony Caden, who wrote Slipstream, which is a film that has fascinated me for years. Yeah, um, you know, we were supposed to do that last yeah. year. And I totally forgot. I'm really sorry. Yeah, yeah, Slipstream. Um, yeah, so it's it's out on um, you can find it on podcasts and stuff at the moment. But uh, Slipstream is a film that's fascinating because it's so it's fun, but it has this disjointed quality. And if you ever listen to Tony's uh, interview, you'll find out finally why. Um, <laughs> you know, because it seems like it, it you know it had a lot of different ideas trying to come together, and it turns out that you know the producers and the director and a bunch of other producers had too many ideas. Uh, that didn't really quite gel. Uh, you know, one producer wanted an action movie. Other producers wanted a, the director wanted a family film. Tony was trying to write like a post-apocalyptic version of Hal Ashby's The Last Detail. Uh, so yeah, and it, it never it never really quite worked. But it's it's fun. It's fun to find out. All right, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Video Night. You'll find all our episodes there, as well as the original show, Video Night, where we discuss 
lost and forgotten movies and sometimes underrated or movies that flopped. And uh, that is it for us here at Trash Cinema. We'll be back next month with our American Ninja. Actually, that's not true. I forgot. We have a special episode coming up in two weeks with my friend Kersey where we're going to discuss Leviathan and Deep Star 6. Then we'll do the American Ninja series. Love it. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Thank you, Michael. Excuse me. No problem. to Back in Tunes. I'm your host, Michael, and my co-host, as almost always, I shouldn't say always, because every once in a while Jacob's not available and I grab somebody else, but what up, Jacob? What up, it's Jacob. How's everybody doing out there? <laughs> Are you the host? Are you, are you like, hey, everybody, have a good evening. <laughs> yeah, I would say I'm the co-host, or perhaps co-captain, if you may. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, so when I say that we do have a special guest every once in a while, uh, the show's going to be changing a little bit over the next month. I'm going to finish up all the episodes that I've done. Like, I've kind of, like, sent out to other people. Like, hey, do you want to discuss this? Uh, we'll get those wrapped up. I have two more of those to go. And then after that, it's just going to be me and Jacob from here on out. Uh, and then um, What the Fuck Tunes is a spinoff that we're doing. Me and Tony Tran are going to be doing. We're just picking the worst cartoons in history and tearing them apart and trying to analyze why they suck so much. Which, Jacob, I'm not going to subject you to, because I know after the Battletoads extravaganza that our brains nearly exploded. Uh, yeah, no, I was in an alleyway for like three months, trying to, I was trying to reconfigure my mind, put the, pu- <laughs> put the puzzle pieces back into place, find myself again. <laughs> and uh, then after that, basically all the guests that show up are just going to be doing their uh, perfect Saturday morning, which is... Uh, Basically, what if you were in charge of your own network? What would you program on Saturday morning? And basically, you just build your block. Like, say it could be 8 to 12 or, you know, uh, 7 to 1. Uh, you max out at 10 cartoons. You can't, a minimum of 6, maximum of 10. You basically break down what your perfect Saturday morning would be. And that's what the guest episodes are going to be from here out. But the next ones that we do, uh, I'm going to do my perfect Saturday morning. Jacob's then going to do his perfect Saturday morning. And then we're going to have guests after that. Oh, right. Dude, that sounds perfect. I know. I'm still debating on, like, as far as, like, you know, themes and genres go. Like, you know, there's comedy. There's action-adventure. There's, you know, buddy-buddy. You know, stuff like that. And So uh, I'm just trying to figure out what would – what would get people into the palm of my hand first? Yes. I'm the, and then well, I suck them in right after. My, my thinking of it is, uh, you know, what do I start off with? That would be, like, something easy to understand, you know, something comfortable, you know, I'm just waking up, I'm barely there, I just need some giggles. And then get more complicated as the morning goes. It can be any kind of animation, any genre, any decade. It can be prime time, it can be syndicated, it can be an actual Saturday morning cartoon, anything animated. Uh, this came up with a debate, oh. though. 
does does it have to be hand drawn? This came up in the first episode that we did of uh, Perfect Saturday Morning that I did with Ken Reed, uh, whose album is out now. Check it out. It's uh, I Ken Reed. It, uh, he did uh, the most successful episode of uh, Back in Tune so far. Uh, we were discussing whether or not claymation counts. Does puppet tearing count? Do you think that counts as animation? Um, uh, puppeteering? No. Not necessarily. What's I mean, your... don't get me wrong. I'm not hating it. I'm not bashing it. But, I mean, animation, of course, falls under the category of computer-generated or hand-drawn animation. That itself, well, actually, no, now that you think about it, animation, you know, you're taking these little statues or these puppets and you're having them come to life. You're animating them yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, actually, it can. You're still using your hand to move the sticks on the puppet, so I almost wonder if, you know, like the Muppets would count. Or uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse, you know, they had the the puppets in there. I almost feel like that should count because you're animating them. Yeah, no, yeah, that's what I was. Just, yeah, that's what I was just saying. I agree with you. Yes, dude. Okay, yes, it's, it, that counts too. All right. Okay, so this like episode. Howdy Doody. What? Oh, Howdy Doody. I, that would technically count. This episode, everybody, yep. we're going to be discussing two cartoons that we've been putting off for a long time, and I don't know why it's been taking us so long to do it. Obviously, you can tell from the first cartoon intro, it is Eek the Cat. Our second cartoon is going to be Felix the Cat. We got a lot of pussy action going on here. Whoops. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. I know. It's, it's, that pussy's been out of control. We got to tame that shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Eek the Cat. This is one that uh, I didn't experience when it first came out. It was around the second or third season that I started watching it. Uh, I had a friend, Andy McDaniel, who used to say Kumbaya all the time. And I was like, what is that from? Is that from Ninja Turtles or something? I just didn't catch it. And he goes, no, it's Eek the Cat. You're not watching that? And I go, no, what is that? And he's like, it's on Fox. I was like, I watch Fox all the time. How do I not know? He goes, like, it's, I think it's on after Bo uh, Bobby's World. And I'm like, hold on a second. I watch Bobby's World every single week. You're telling me there's an awesome cartoon on afterward and I don't notice it? I don't know what was on yes. against Eek the Cat. It must have been something else that I was interested in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Eek the Cat. Every time, uh, whenever he says Kumbaya, it's because something, you know, it's a moment of despair or surprise or like a, oh, my God, I must save that person moment. <laughs> this is, <laughs> and this is created by Savage Steve Holland. Now, Jacob, do you know who this is, Savage Steve Holland? God, no, it rings a bell. I should know this. Now, he's not a household name. Usually super nerds of movies and stuff like that really know who he is because uh, he created Better Off Dead. One Crazy Summer and how I uh, how I got into college. I wondered why the animation looked so familiar to fucking Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was like, God. Yeah, he started off with those three movies and how I got into college bombed horribly, and so he went uh, back to animation. He actually started off with animation and came back to it, and this series is uh, uh, crucial for how it changed his career. Oh, damn. I thought, well, if anything, did it actually uh, save it somewhat? or? Yeah, uh, so before this, he did the animation. He is the creator of the Whammies. Do you remember Press Your Luck? I remember Press Your Luck, but the Whammies? The Whammies sure. were the thing that um, you would go around in the game, and you're like, big money, no Whammies. And either you won like $1,000 or some jewelry or some nonsense. Uh or huh. you would get the whammy, and then the whammy would wipe out everything that you had. So that's why everybody would say, big money, no whammies. And then these little animated guys would come across and like do these little things, like little gags or whatever to get your money. Oh, so it's something that we should hate. 
<laughs> yes, the whammies were fun, but at the same time, you hated it when it happened. To, like, if you were playing, you hated them. I know. I want to kill every single one of you and swallow your soul. <laughs> I brought the, the deadite version of me. I swallow your soul! I swallow your soul! Get my dawn! <laughs> you did much better than I did. I have a raspy voice. I can't do a lot of these high pitch stuff. I don't, know, it's, I don't know. It's kind of a bitch to do the high notes. I mean, I can't sing... Um, uh, George Michael's uh, Careless Whispers. I can't hit those high notes during the chorus. Has Careless Whisper come up a lot in your life? They're like, ah, oh, shit, I can't sing this again. I sing it in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, so after One Crazy Summer, uh, he created the series for Fox called The New Adventures of Beans Baxter, which I think it was just called uh, Beans Baxter first. It's like a James Bond, uh, but if he was a teenager. And a really entertaining show, buried on Saturday nights on Fox. Uh, it was a cult hit, but never really got big numbers and ended after two seasons. I wish I could find episodes of it somewhere. It is phenomenal. I'll have to look into it. I uh, might remember it. I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, um, everybody remembers the Sunday night on Fox. It was, you know, 21 Jump Street, Married with the Children, Duets, uh, Gary Sandling Show, and uh, Tracy Allman. And most people remember mm. all those. And then on Saturday night, you had Werewolf, Mr. President, Another Chance. I think it was called Another Chance. And The Adventures of Beans Baxter. And nobody remembers any of them except Werewolf. <laughs> I don't remember any of those. I don't know. I might have been too. I might have been too young. Yeah. Well, you were. I don't. Were you even born yet? Eighty-seven. Yeah, you were born. Right. No. I, oh. No, I was. I was in my mom's belly. Uh, at least around the later half. <laughs> Uh, then after this, he went on to Saturday Night Live for two seasons, then created uh, Eek the Cat, wrote for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, which is an awesome cartoon, uh, way better than the yes, TV version of Bill and Ted. We got to do Bill and Ted cartoon one day. Oh, I know. Dude, it was on Netflix for a while, but then they take it off again. I'm like, oh. what the hell? Uh, besides Eek the Cat, Terrible Thunder Lizards, which I have zero memory on, but it was on for four years. I don't remember the show at all. Do you? Terrible Thunder Lizards? Yeah. Yeah. Terrible thunder lizards. Say that five times fast. You sound terrible like uh, you sound thunder Ron Burgundy. It's like I'm speaking with a lisp. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, no, I remember. Um, I do remember Eek the Cat fondly and how they kind of looked like the fuzzy bunnies from One Crazy Summer. Oh yeah. But yeah, of course, yeah. it was a little. <laughs> but of course, Eek the Cat was a bit more PG friendly, but just absolutely wacky. All those old classic animation gimmicks, like anything can happen. Because <laughs> I mean, watching the first episode, oh gosh, like I kid you not, he tries to get one thing solved and something else pops up. It's like problem after problem. It's Murphy's Law, pretty much. Well, what I like Going about into the show effect. is it's so fast. It's so incredibly fast, and it references like other cartoons and movies and stuff like that. It's it's part of that new class that we were talking about, where uh, post like Ren and Stimpy that era, where everything was wild yeah. and crazy and extreme and just. The, the comedy was just cranked up to a new level where um, all, normal people could get it, but people who really knew animation and film would get a lot of references. They're like, holy crap, did they just pull that out of... I haven't heard a joke about that in years. Right, yeah. <laughs> it did have some old classic jokes. And it has kind of a Looney Tunes quality to it as well, which a lot of cartoons hadn't done. It approaches its... Uh, gags like the way Frizz Freeling and Chuck Jones would where it's just wild and outrageous even a little bit of Tex Avery influence there yeah oh my gosh yeah and one of the voice actors I, I know who's in pretty much like almost everything I've heard 
who's always playing an old lady, Charles Adler. Oh, oh gosh. yeah, I was wondering about that. Some of the voices, it's like, this sure sounds like something I've seen on, like, uh, I want to say Courage the Cowardly Dog or something like that. Yeah, that's pretty much who it was. He also had, uh, oh, Brad Garrett was in it, and John Kassir. Oh, my gosh, I remember John Kassir from It's Johnny Time. That was such a, I, I loved watching that show every morning, John, every Saturday morning. Isn't John Kasser the guy who voices the Crypt Keeper? Am I wrong? No, you're correct. That's him. Yeah, I didn't guy. know that either for, like, the longest time. And you got Dan Castellanet, Castellaneta, yeah, Cam Clark. Cam Clark, I remember from Robotech and Grandia. Well, of course. Oh, uh, Grandia, too. Of course, Simpsons. Everybody knows him. Simpsons. Don't! <laughs> Tawny Katane, which was a bit of a surprise. I'm like, holy shit, that was yeah. her? She was Annabelle? Uh, it's funny. Tawny Katane, uh, which I think actually went by Tawny Kitten in the very beginning of her career. Uh, you know, she was in Bachelor Party. That's where she kind of made her name. But then after that, like, everybody yeah. remembers her now from being in that White Snake video. Here I go again on my own. And she's yeah. like this White Snake's ex wife. Was it Great White? What did I say? White Snake? You said White Snake. Yeah, it's White Snake. I wish that the guys from Great White, White Lion, and White Snake would all get together and just call themselves Great White Lion Snake. <laughs> <laughs> There's like 20 people in that the band. Actually... Yeah, I know. It was. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Now, oh god! Elizabeth Daly now, uh, might as well call themselves the Whiteys. <laughs> oh no, that, the doesn't, whitey. that doesn't come out right at all. That sounds horrible. That sounds like a KKK uh, band. Yeah, pretty much. Or the Tidy Whiteys. <laughs> <laughs> well, then they'd be all singing. Oh, well, they do sing falsetto, so actually, it might work. Call them the Tidy Whiteys. <laughs> Two tights is done. <laughs> oh, and of course, we cannot forget E.G. Daly. Who? No, oh, like, you got to it right before I could get to it. Yeah. Oh, well, you want to you talk about her. You know more than I would. Yeah, Elizabeth Daly. Now, a lot of people mostly know her for her voice work. You know, she's uh, Tommy Pickles on Rugrats, probably her most famous role. Uh, Powerpuff Girls, tons of animation. But for you and I, I think we know her best from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, she played Dottie. I'm a loader, Dottie, <laughs> a rebel. I know. She's throwing all these hints. She wants to have something with Pee Wee, but he just won't have it. He's not that into her. Is he into anyone? He's like that. I never really figured out. Was Pee Wee Herman just not interested in girls because he was a man child? Or was it, you know, was he just like oblivious to sex? Was he, uh, what do you call it? Um, not ambiguous. Asexual. Uh, asexual, thank you. Possibly, but no, in the second movie, he was with, um, oh God, what's her name? That's right. I forgot. Gina. Oh, she was in Hot Shots. Um,. I hate when yes. I name. I also Gina Gershaw. I know, I keep forgetting her name, too. Uh, hot Shots, looking up Hot Shots. Thank you, Wikipedia. She's also in um, Escape from L.A. She was also in... Oh, gosh, she was Wait, in Four man. Rooms. Oh, she was oh, in the oh, first Val segment. Valerie Galino. Yes, that's who it is. My gosh, I know, she, is, she was lovely. She was very lovely. Like She was an instant like crush if you grew up in the 90s. Arr, arr. Uh, so E.G. Daly, uh, also known as Elizabeth Daly... Uh, she is also a very good singer, though it's very hard to find some of her music. Uh, she did a fantastic song in summer school when they're taking the test. Um, and she also sings... Oh, that was her! Yes, she sings that song and when they're taking all the tests, whatever. Let me try to find that. Um, but she it's also sings... Better Off Dead. Yeah, she sings in Better Off Dead. Hubba hubba. She is, you know, she's voluptuous. She was, she was lovely. She was very, very lovely. She still looks great to this day and age. Yes, she My does. gosh, and she was also in a couple of Rob Zombie movies. She was in a... I know she was in uh, Devil's Rejects. Was she? Why don't I remember? Yeah, that? she was like one of the uh, she was like one of the prostitutes. 
Mind over matter. That's it. I was trying to remember. See if I can get it going. Right. I love this. I love summer school. Um, I don't know if you've seen or not. Using a number two pencil. I love it. Take your answer sheet. I don't want all this extra stuff. If you're going to play a music clip, don't do all the talking. Hey. What? I don't know. That's like one of the most memorable lines from the movie. Hey. James. Ah. Uh. <laughs> That's what he calls. That's what the, you know. The whole one of the horror buffs played by um, Cameron, Dean Cameron. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. yeah, Dean Cameron. That's right. God, there's so many people with the last name Cameron. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> I've never actually seen. I didn't I'm think like, there was an actual music one? video for this. I always thought that it was uh, just in the movie. It's on YouTube. It's I, crazy. I want to say this about summer school. Um, Dean Cameron, I thought was the most watchable and most funniest character of that entire movie oh yeah i think he's what everybody remembers him for you know uh <laughs> just i hate the fact i'm actually friends with dean cameron and uh for years now people just call him chainsaw and all they do is bring up summer school the dude was in like 50 movies and he's having an actually quite a bit of a revival and for everybody to keep bringing this up i don't know if that's good or bad it must get a little annoying everybody goes hey, chainsaw he has an actual name it's dean you might want to go by that it's like calling um i know like uh, Emmanuel Lewis, constantly calling Webster. I was like, he actually has a real name. <laughs> I know. He made other appearances as well. And he does not age. No. He, well, oh, yeah. he's aged a little bit. Right. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, no. I honestly thought this was a very well-voiced cartoon. I thought, you know, the dummy bears that would appear every now and then by Cam Clark. Just like a real highlight. Yeah. You know, they had this funny little squeak voice. And then there was this other one with this real dumb voice. Yeah, I swear, Cam can play so many different characters. You, yeah, the funny thing is, uh, uh, this actually changed names about halfway through its run from just Eek the Cat to Eek Extravaganza, and that's when they grabbed the Terrible Thunder Lizards. I can't talk. Terrible Thunder Lizards as part of the show. Uh, but I, seriously, I yeah. must have stopped watching Eek the Cat because I have zero memory of it. So weird. I know. Okay, well, once you, I'm sure once you start watching it, you'll probably get start getting a little bit more into it. I'm sure you'll like it. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, whenever the character, like, Sharky, when he came around, you knew Eek was going to get in trouble. You couldn't help, but you can't... Sharky wasn't exactly a likable pet. He that one pet just wanted to, you know, turn into a little football and kick through a field goal post. <laughs> he was evil. <laughs> and then, of course, there was the old lady who was the owner of Mittens, you know, the one, the one who talked like this. Mittens, <laughs> we have to go get your I was like, not Eek. an easy voice to get whatsoever. No, not at all. Oh gosh, Charles Adler fucking nailed it. I I was like, honestly, Eek. When it comes to that old lady, just let her die. She is a weapon of mass destruction in herself. She's you know go. She can't read. She's driving around. She's speeding. She her vision's going away. She couldn't even tell that mittens was Eek. I know. That How could she not tell? <laughs> oh gosh. And you wonder why mittens is a nervous wreck. Oi. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Is, um, there's a lot of cameos in here that uh, would go on to be like, well, either were very successful at the time or would go on to be successful. William Shatner, David Coveney, Gillian Anderson uh, playing their characters from X-Files. John Walsh, Weird Al, Tim Curry, John Landis. John Landis, if you don't know, is the director of American Werewolf in London and Trading Places. And my ma a favorite movie of all time, Three Amigos. Yes. Uh, Kurtwood Smith played Red on that 70s show. It is in... Uh, uh, Robocop, and you do an, an excellent impersonation of him. Can you fly, Bobby? <laughs> uh, D. Snyder, which is from, uh, he's the lead singer Twisted Sister. Uh, Fabio. I didn't know Fabio could talk. 
Fabio talks? I thought he was just like, No, I. I look pretty. I'm Fabio. Just very stoic and statue like. I never thought he could speak. He was always, I thought he was mute. <laughs> I didn't, I had no idea. Uh, Heather Locklear. Uh, oh. Uh, during the 90s. Uh. Oh, yeah. Uh, Phil Hartman, of course. Uh, uh, every time we bring up Phil Hartman, he's in a lot of animation, but man, I'll never stop missing him. No. I can neither. I'll never miss. I'll never stop missing him as Captain Carl. Like nobody else could take that role of Captain Carl. No. Uh, Cowboy Curtis. That's a little easier. I mean, Phil Lamar did a great job on the Broadway show of Pee Wee's uh, Pee Wee's uh, show. And uh, uh, who played him? I forgot who played him. Uh, shit, Matrix. Lawrence Fishburne. Thank you. I'm an idiot. Lawrence Fishburne. Um, hey. Julie Strain. Do you know who this is? She was on there as herself. Julie Strait. Wasn't she like a B-movie uh, yeah. softcore porn star? Kind of. of course. Yeah, her, of course I Given her a B-level rating is actually quite a compliment because she was more like Z-level. If she hadn't married, I think, <laughs> I can't remember his name, but he owned uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What's that? Creator of Ninja Turtles. Yeah, that's who she's married to. Yeah, I mean, he, she was in the second heavy metal movie, which you and I don't really care for. There's nothing really wrong with it, but it nowhere nearly matches the original. No, but uh, yeah, you could tell that was like based off of her. It looks just like her. And uh, there's uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, who uh, at the time was becoming something of a joke by the mainstream audience. But if you knew comedy, you could see where he was going with uh, like Shakes the Clown, which is the best alcoholic clown movie ever made. Mind you, there's only one <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> uh, but now he's a, a brilliant director, great stand-up. Uh, he's highly underrated. People don't give him enough credit for changing up his career. Yeah, I know. I honestly, yeah, no, I loved World's Greatest Dad and God Bless America. <laughs> oh, God Bless America's messed up. Woo! I know. It's messed up beyond all repair, but at the same time, it's just so, it's it's pretty funny. It's <laughs> fucked up, but it's so funny. But it's Bobcat Goldthwait's, you know, dark comedic genius. Uh, Cynthia and, Rothrock is in this as well. Do you remember her? She was very popular when I was, like, in high school. What was the name again? Cynthia Rothrock. Cynthia Rothrock. No, but that does sound very metal and Viking. That sounds a bad. Like a <laughs> it bad does. Name. Yeah, I make sure she find that awesome. Uh, she was a kung fu artist. She started off doing like the Chinese movies with Michelle Yeoh. So she, she her talent for martial arts is uh, there's no like uh, you know stunt doubles. There's no wire work. She does everything. She is actually quite amazing. Only problem is most of the movies that she did were poorly written. So she's kind of like set aside as like a you remember her. You know, whatever happened to kind of thing for like five or six years she had like a movie on the brand new release shelf all the time and yet no one would really pick it up that much no not really uh mr t was on yeah. the show who doesn't who doesn't <laughs> love mr t well i didn't like him in rocky three i wanted him to get punched in the face really really hard <laughs> i wanted i wanted a, i wanted a freaking carl weathers just freaking right hook right to his freaking mouth yeah, he's kind of a dude. I think Apollo would have kicked his ass. Yeah. And um, finally, we have Buck Henry, who is a brilliant writer. Uh, not a lot of people know him, but he was kind of one of those guys that in the late 70s, early 80s was changing comedy severely. Uh, I'm trying to actually remember. He he was a big Saturday Night Live guy, like recurring, did some writing for them. Uh, wrote, I want to say he wrote Catch-22, which is a fantastic war movie, which is a uh, comedy. He wrote The Graduate. Uh, with Alan Arkin. What's, oh yeah, catch one. You've seen it then, huh? 
Yeah, I saw it in a film study back in high school. Oh, it's brilliant. Heaven Can Wait, he also wrote. First Family is a fantastic movie that most people don't remember, which is a political satire with Bob Newhart and Gilda Radner. Um, he's in Grumpy Old Men. Uh huh. Wait, who did he play in Grumpy Old Men? Uh, he's the one trying to kick out Gustafson. He, he keeps coming to his house with the paperwork to kick uh, to a victim. Oh. Dude. So he's a total. So he usually plays a dick character. There is an Eek the Cat video game for the NES or the Super NES. What? I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> I'll probably download it and play it on my little emulator. Holy crap! Yes, I'm gonna <laughs> play that. Oh, I have no idea that even existed. That's insane. I know it. It had. I know. Like I said, what was so genius about this cartoon was, of course, the old school, you know, animation gimmicks, but with some new school humor. Yeah, it's it's just so fast. I I don't like if anybody had not experienced it, they'd be like, oh. Okay, I need to actually pay attention here because I'm going to miss a lot of bits. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, I like it. It was like over what? It's like a half an hour show, but it was, of course, quickly paced. It felt like so little short of time. It's like you watch the whole entire show in a matter of hours, and then all of a sudden, oh, it's all done. You're sitting there <laughs> trying to figure out, trying to figure out what to watch net next on Netflix, and then you realize you're like, oh god, I need help. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. Uh... It doesn't look cheap. It's I know it was done on low budget because Nelvana wasn't exactly like a big budget company. They were a Canadian company, and uh, I, I'm trying to think of something that it would have been really high budget for them. Um, but this is one that didn't really matter if the budget. It's all about style. It's it's in an era when uh, the creator of the show dictated how it went and how it looked instead of it being like based on a toy or some studio interference or it's a license. This is one that was just like he's in control of everything. So. Uh, it, it surpasses what the budget limitations were there. Oh, uh, okay. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, like I said, this show is like getting, you know, rave critical reviews and a lot of popularity and a lot of viewers. It should be just fine. I mean, they shouldn't have to care too much about budget. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Fix uh, the Cat? That's the next one, everybody. Uh, about Eek yeah. the Cat? <laughs> it, would, it would be great if it would have, like, you know, that along with Rocco, Rocco's Modern Life. Uh, would all come back in like a, li- a nice little lineup on Netflix. Yeah. Like for- well, I wish they would put them out on DVD. I want to hear the story behind the show. You know, I want to hear Savage Steve Holland, you know, put together like a set with all these extras, you know, like preliminary sketches and, you know, uh, the post effect of the show. The fact it was in reruns for so long after it was canceled. Well, I know it was in high demand, but I just, they did, they sadly did not want to continue it. Blah. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearing my throat and barfing at the same time. It's like, oh god, my bowels! Now they're starting to act up. Oh. <laughs> I never. I don't even have to drink enough prone juice. Or do I? I can't remember. Oh, I eat. Do you remember when I tried to do that voice a couple years ago? As like, uh, I wanted to warn everybody that the beginning of the show is a little offensive, and you were like, afterwards, you're like, that's that sounded kind of like a cliche Asian voice. I was like, that's not what I was doing at all. <laughs> that's not my intention every every voice i usually do if i do it too long it'll descend into something else like you know when we did our sketches last year for the show i found myself starting oh, yeah. off with one accent and ending the sketch in a totally different accent and uh i, I don't know i you know start off with the british like cockney and end up with uh new zealand yeah you went but new zealand you went down under with that one <laughs> all like, right so Catch these episodes on YouTube. Uh, someone has been nice enough to load up a ton of Eek the Cat. I don't know if it's complete. You can catch a bunch there just to check it out. And um, 
I guess it's time for us to move on to our second cartoon. You ready, Jacob? You ready to tag it? Let's go! Yeah. Tag me in, brother! Oh, oh, yeah. Snap into a cartoon. Twisted Tales of Felix. enough that's one long ass theme song holy sh and what's up with the metal that does not fit with the theme of the show it's like this is the 90s i know i know it was it was a pretty cool theme song but i watched the uh classic uh felix the cat from like black and white betty boop days yeah there's actually three different versions uh of course the version you and i probably know uh you know most is the originals like some of them were silent and then sound came in later uh, and then there's the 60s. I think it's uh, it's either late 50s or early 60s, uh, Felix the Cat. Late 50s. And um, that one is fantastic. I love the fact that he had that bag with all the magical gags and stuff in it. Uh, and then this is the version in the 90s, which, like, a lot of the kids that listen to the show, kids, uh, people that are in their 20s probably know is this version, which all was on for two years on CBS. And this is, like, dropping acid, man. This is trippy and weird. <laughs> but kids love but kids in that decade we love trippy and weird we needed <laughs> trippy and weird was the norm yeah it's it's <laughs> very bizarre and strange and wonderful uh i i can't um imagine anything like felix the cat coming back in any other era because uh like we're saying from 90 to about 95 cartoons were allowed to be as bizarre and free as humanly possible and this was that if, if it had come out a little bit later it probably would have been dull Probably, yeah, it probably would have been a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit current, a little bit more, oh, uh, no, something modern, something, something of the time, basically, not ahead. Something kind of just stuck right in that decade. Yeah, in this, in this series, uh, it has the original style, this, the stuff that you saw from the Fleischer Studios back in, you know, Otto, and the, the look of uh, Otto Mesmer from the 20s and 30s. Uh, it doesn't update it to a 90s look. It's it's retro-futuristic, I guess. It's not retro... Uh, I guess just a retro style, but with a new speed. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like how uh, pretty much the future of uh, Bill and Ted from A Bogus Journey pretty much was supposed to be the look of the future, but we're nowhere near that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Charlie Adler, to bring him up again, uh, is one of the main voice actors in this. Uh, he actually took over halfway through the series... And uh, oddly enough, both cartoons had Film Roman involved, which uh, is pretty much synonymous with television now. Most of the big cartoons, somehow Film Roman is involved with them. <laughs> well, it's basically... Sorry, that was a little hiccup. Yeah, basically <laughs> Film Roman's the ones that stayed with the times. It's the only place to go for animation now. It is. And it says it's one of the most expensive cartoons of all time. And you see it. You see it on the screen. I don't think the second season is as good as the first season. I feel like the wild creativity is kind of... Uh, muted. I don't feel like it's as strong as it was in the first season. Right, it's like they kind of got a little lazy. That or it budget restrictions just didn't allow them to go very wild and original. 
Of course not. I know. There's always someone who's got to suppress the imagination. It's like, oh, it costs too much money. Uh, Don't you understand? Animation is forever. Exactly. It'll be. It'll live forever. Uh, like voice actors, budgets, which their... uh, they're they're not forever. Yeah, I know because we're kind of stockpiling it away for ourselves while so you yeah. guys don't get shit. Yes, I have a two hundred million dollar <laughs> paycheck a year. I only have twenty million to spend on animation. Um, I we, wait. Can you rewind that and reverse those? <laughs> <laughs> that was too late. The damage is already done. Nah. All right, so Felix the Cat, just do a quick history on it, debuted in 1919. Oh, my God, Felix the Cat's almost 100 years old. They have to set something up. We're only three years away. They have to do some sort of special anniversary. They should relaunch him. Yes, they should. They should relaunch him with, um, like I said, uh, no, Steamboat Willie's Mickey Mouse. So, yeah, he's always in production. Um, Betty Boop. There's also Woody Woodpecker and... Oh, gosh, who else? Now, Woody Woodpecker isn't that old. I don't think he came about to the 40s. Uh, we're definitely talking, like, Felix and Betty Boop and Popeye. You know, the Fleischer Studios, the stuff that uh, Disney yeah. was doing very early on. Um, Oswald, the rabbit, you know, that's very, very old. Oh, wow. Gosh, it's so old. I don't even remember Oswald. Yeah, it's, uh, it's what uh, Disney was involved with before, you know, really launching his studio with Mickey. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hmm. I guess Family Guy. Family Guy might have made a joke about that. Maybe. Oh no! Wait, no. It was coming up. Coming up with a name for Bugs Bunny. And then Peter's ancestor was the one who came up with Ephraim the retarded bunny, and he's the only one who voted for it. And he's like, "We could all go to hell." <laughs> uh, this is one of those uh, characters that's actually been disputed about his origins. The owner of the company, uh, Pat Sullivan, says that he created it. Uh, and then the animator, Otto Mesmer, also says that he is the creator. It's it's never been 100%, sir. You know, it's been so long, it's hard to decipher uh, who exactly was involved in his launch and creation. Yeah, kind of like with um, how everyone was always giving praise to Bob Kane for creating Batman when Bill Finger had a huge hand in developing yeah, exactly. him. exactly. It's ridiculous that it went so long with that, that one. I can't believe that no one said, like, uh, hold on a second, what? Yeah, I know. Yeah, Bill Finger. Yeah, dude, the original Batman was like pretty much a red Zorro, but without a hat and blonde hair. That was Bob Kane's original idea. Then Bill Finger's like, no, take no, dude. It's like, come with me, my friend. Here, just take this. Just take this drink. Relax yourself. Let me show. Let me show you what you should do. I am the bat. <laughs> I am the knight. Uh, sir, he exactly. can't very well with blonde hair and a red costume. I am really wrong. You come up with something better. Yeah, I know. I think Batman was... I based his wings off the Da Vinci's invention of the, uh, the flying machine. <laughs> Why do you sound like George Lucas? Like <laughs> oh, I didn't... I didn't uh, George Lucas sounds a little bit more... Uh, he sounds a little bit more tired and like this and a little reserved. Like, never loud. Never, little, never trying to get his voice out there. Uh, yeah. I thought I was doing something a little bit more like Ray Romano or, or Kermit the Frog. You sound like John C. Riley actually a little bit. <laughs> Do we just become yes, best friends? Right. <laughs> Do we just become best friends? Oh my god, that sounds almost to the T. Have you seen this show, First Impressions, by Dana Carvey yet? It's on Comedy Central. <laughs> I'll look into it. No, seriously, <laughs> you, you should go on this show. Go on there with some uh, uh, impressions. You can win $10,000. 10000 Hmm. It shoots in Echo Park. Like... It's not like you live very, very far away. You can get down there. Echo Park? Yeah. 
Where's that at? It's a, it's a, it's a suburb of uh, Los Angeles. Okay, I'll probably have to fly. All right. Oh, hmm. Well, I am going there in July. Yeah. Hey. For Disneyland. Oh, they're shooting right now. Ah, oh, that'd be so cool to go on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so the uh, rights to, you know, I didn't even know this. The rights to Felix the Cat are owned by DreamWorks. It must have been when they bought all the characters for, like, He-Man and, uh, they bought Simon and Peabody. They bought the whole Jay Ward catalog. They bought the Filmation catalog. Somehow they got Felix the Cat and all that. I don't know if it was separate or that was one big lump that they acquired it in. Right, exactly. Oh, gosh. I don't want to talk about He-Man. I'm still disappointed that they're not coming out with a new movie anytime soon. Yeah, well, who knows? It'll, one day it'll just pop up. You're like, huh? As long as it's good, it better be good. Jason Statham could be He-Man. <laughs> oh. oh, no way. No how. Uh... I was gonna say, um, DreamWorks just sold to I think Universal Studios. They are no longer on their own distributing through someone. They they are sold. They're everything that they were ten years ago is gone. TV division gone. Animation division uh, now acquired by Universal. No films really being made anymore. Uh, no music label. It's amazing. Like fifteen years ago, we're like, oh, these guys are gonna be the next big thing, and then uh, bomb, bomb, bomb. Everything they do, they they spend a little too much money, and it makes a little less than they want. Yeah, I know, and the Shrek movies aren't as funny as the first one. Wow. Although I thought I found part two kind of funny. Well, they, they're done. They just stopped making them. They wrapped the series up, and now they get a little desperate. They might revive it. I mean, it did have a – didn't it have a Broadway musical? I don't know. Um, I I'm, No, I'm pretty sure – no, it was streaming on Netflix. They had a musical uh, – they had a Shrek the musical on Broadway. They turn almost everything into a Broadway. They turn Spider-Man into a Broadway. Yeah, they'll turn Who does that? They're going to turn this podcast into a song, uh, theme. You know, like, oh, okay, we'll start this. We'll do podcast, the musical. And like, back <laughs> in tune. They'll kill us both, and they'll move on to another podcast. <laughs> yeah, don't they always? They always just kill us off. Oh, gosh. It's like, an, it's just like, it's, it's like a book in, uh, from, it's just like one of the books from the series uh, Song of Ice and Fire. Someone, someone's going to die on the next page. I am the very model of a modern major podcaster. <laughs> Backstabbed. <laughs> Killed at the wedding. Who does that? You know, Walter as much as, asshole. As, as much as the 50s version of Felix the Cat is kind of derided, uh, right. I, I really enjoyed There's something very simple about its uh, animation. Uh, not in a cheap way. I know it was done on a low budget, but I just really enjoy how well done it is. The guys knew what they had to work with, and they made it just uh, creative and fun and wild. Not as wild as the 90s series, but I really enjoy it. Yeah, I was. I mainly watched like the old classic black and white cartoons, and it was just like, rah, this like, terrible like meowing. It sounded like the cat was dying, and they decided to record it and have it star in the Felix the Cat. <laughs> as it's <laughs> I know. I make uh, uh, when you uh, step on my balls. <laughs> it's pretty much like a um, yeah. I, know, I think like the old Felix the Cat. I mean, he was kind of coolest, but he was pretty intelligent. He would come up with some snappy ways to get his stolen property back. No, I've never seen the movie. Back in '87, New World Pictures, they were starting to become a big thing. The guy who owned Revlon, for life, man, I can't remember his name all, uh, all of a sudden, but uh, he had bought Marvel, he had bought New World, and he was going to make like this joint venture where you know, he would take Marvel properties and turn them into movies for New World, and then uh, he would oh. do comic book adapta- adaptations with New World stuff. 
So you would see House 2, you know, and the, the ads were on the back of every single comic, and there was a special issue devoted to House 2, the second story. Uh, there was the right. Punisher movie. They had planned on doing um, something else. I can't remember what the other movie was. But they had some money in their pockets because they had a couple solid hits, and uh, by the time 88, 89 rolled around, they realized, oh, shit, we're bankrupt. So uh, Punisher went straight to video. Felix the Cat went straight to video. Uh, Felix the Cat, the movie, went straight to video. And a couple right. others went straight to video. Um, Meet the Applegates, I think, barely got released. Heather's was their last significant release. Um, that was a great movie. Yeah. Uh, they were doing the Incredible Hulk movies on TV. Um, but they were in dire straits. And, of course, back in the mid-90s, Marvel went bankrupt. Uh, luckily, they didn't shut down. But New World Pictures did shut down. They sold whatever they had left in their catalog off. So Felix the Cat was actually sold off and sent straight to video. Uh, I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's if it's good or not. Have you? No, I haven't. I don't remember seeing the uh, Felix the Cat movie. God, it's been a long while. Like yeah. I said, I just remember watching the old black and white ones. Yeah, so more I'll, than I'll I do. Uh, to find this one. It's actually out of print. It's hard to find. Uh, someone probably put it on YouTube. Who knows? Uh, cost nine million dollars, which sounds like absolutely nothing. It was film. It was done in Hungarian, so uh, not Hungarian language, just Hungarian animation. And I think that's the same guys that did those god awful Gene Deitch, Deitch, uh, Tom and Jerry's. Do you ever watch Tom and Jerry cartoons? Yes, I do. There was a year where Gene, I'm going to say his name, Deitch, did uh, maybe twelve Tom and Jerry cartoons over in Hungary or Romania or something like that, and they look just strange, like something like. It almost feels like you're watching um, a snuff film version of Tom and Jerry. It looks creepy. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, uh, man. The Ryan House version of it. Tom is uh, actually going to rip Jerry's head right off and suck the brains out. And use his eyeballs for jelly on his toast. <laughs> and he's going to hump the eye sockets. I can't he's going to his skull, and then he's going to use it as a cereal bowl. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be like, um, what's the drive angry? I'm going to drink beer out of your skull. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to drink beer out of your skull. <laughs> and then, and then I'm going to, then I'm going to make myself a little margarita. And then I'm going to go to a Mexican restaurant, and I'm going to enjoy it. And never to complain about it. Because I'm Nicholas Cage, and I'm undead. Nicholas Cage is <laughs> Tom. And uh, who's going to play Jerry? Who's going to play Jerry? Somebody like small and didn't need to... Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito? Can you do a Danny DeVito impersonation? Oh, God, no. I haven't even tried uh, Danny DeVito. <laughs> Nicholas Cage and Danny DeVito <laughs> and Tom and Jerry. The murder years. Actually, this is all just a bad dream. You're at home in bed, heavily sedated, <laughs> dying from the cut. You personally spewed in your lifetime of profiteering. <laughs> That's basically my best Danny DeVito that I could come up with. I had to turn it into like a gruffy penguin voice. Oh, when he does a gr when he does a penguin voice, it almost like he's on the verge of like hacking up a loogie. He's like, yeah, he's like got a slobbery quality. I don't know how to do it. Um, yeah, especially at the end. I'll murder you, Molly Ah, but first, maybe a cool drink of ice water. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you're the only person to ever do a penguin from Batman Returns impersonation. Oh. Uh, good, good to know. God, I know. Honestly, that was such a, <laughs> yeah, that was a great film. 
such a great film. Anyway, yeah, no, that's that's how oh, Jer- that's great, how Tom and Jerry would end. It's a great movie for people win. who don't like Batman because Batman doesn't show up until about a third of the way into the movie. They might as well call it the Catwoman and Penguin show. No, Batman shows up at the beginning. I, you know, during the whole Red Triangle Circus gang attack, Christopher Walken gave a speech, and then he shows up in the Batmobile, then does the little thing with the talks with Michelle Pfeiffer a bit. You know, she makes it. She makes herself look like a total dork and comes awkward. And then he walks away. I don't remember Batman being much of hell. He's barely in the movie. It seems like at times. It seems like it's just about the Penguin, Catwoman, and then like oh, uh, every fifteen minutes, just uh, show Batman for a minute. Uh, moving on. Oh, he had plenty of screen time. He was a star role. Yeah, I know, but still, it doesn't seem like it was a Batman movie. Uh, let's get back on page. Felix the Cat. Uh, after this, there was another animated special for Christmas. Uh, I don't think anybody ever saw it. Baby Felix and Friends sounds like bullshit. I'm not going to watch that. That's oh, no. Like... I do remember Baby Felix and Friends. Was it shit? Because it sounds like shit. No, it was adorable. I was a little kid. I didn't have standards. Come on, man. <laughs> you were not a little kid. This was in 2000. You were at least... Okay, technically you were a kid. Never mind. You were 11. Well... <laughs> I know. I don't I remember know. any I... of these games. There was a game for the NES, the Game Boy, uh, Hudson Soft. Not exactly the best company in the world, but uh, who knows? The game might have been awesome. Did you ever play them? No, I'll have to look it up and try it out. All right. So that I, I can do. Yeah, I would say uh, definitely check out Twisted Tales of Felix the Cat. Uh, it's you know something for someone with a short attention span who's never tried it out before. I, I really adore the 50s series. Uh, and just from a historical value, uh, you have to check out the originals. Yeah, no, they they would be pretty funny, but you know, a little bit racist too. It's like, oh, good god! <laughs> I think most of those cartoons, like pre nineteen sixty, were like, oh, that's uh, whew, that's not okay. Uh, there's um, no, it's not. at some point we're going to discuss the Pink Panther cartoons and the the cartoons that were associated with it. Uh, there is an episode. Now I'm getting confused. Was it a Dick Tracy cartoon or was it Inspector? Uh, one of them uh, has an Asian character that's so insanely racist. We're talking like Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's racist. It's one of those that just makes Ew. your skin crawl and takes you out of it completely. You're like, okay, buck teeth glasses and talking like that. All right, this is horrible. I know. That's I'm like, Jesus. I mean, especially in some animations, it's very close to how they interpret Peter Laurie. <laughs> minus the whole, minus the, minus the whole curved eyes. Ah. It's all the difference there is. Because I have big wide eyes. Yes, Mister. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, I think Felix should at least make a comeback somehow. Oh yeah, in some well, way. But we're I mean, just we're just around the corner from the hundredth anniversary. They'd be stupid not to somehow celebrate it with at least an animated special. Of course. Now, when you say the twisted tales of Felix and Friends, that could come back. That should come back as like a horror genre. Oh yeah. <laughs> kind of like a uh, the haunted world of El Superbisto. Something like that. That movie is awesome. <laughs> I love that movie. That movie doesn't get enough cred. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But maybe minus the sex, it, that should be it. Oh, I no, mean, no, then again, no. sex- I want, uh, it's going to be like full, like just filthy murder and and uh, sex and just uh, the twisted adventures of Felix the Cat will be a name that's actually, it makes sense. It's like, oh, this is twisted. Like, not fun twisted, demented twisted. But it's just so wonderful. It's visually wonderful. I can't stop watching it while eating my popcorn. Felix pulls a chainsaw out of his little bag. <laughs> They're all gonna die now. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like he ra- he uses his tail with it and does like this little whip action. That actually that's actually pretty fucking cool. He pulls Mickey's head out of the bag. He goes, "How dare you upset me as the number one box office star?" 
<laughs> That's right. Or he turns Mickey into a little shrunken head. <laughs> You're oh, all God. mine now. Sweating a soul. Sweating a soul. And then he has like Bugs Bunny as like this demented little zombie servant. <laughs> he has he has Bugs Bunny's ears like like stuck on a little thing on his head. Like he's wearing his like bloody, a... his bloody ears. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or just using his ears as part of his necklace. Oh, that's messed uh, up. That makes sense. I know. That's a Universal Soldier. That's a good pull. I didn't. Uh, I didn't think about that. Ah, uh-huh. and Universal now owns that property, doesn't it? Yes, but it's not. They could work. No, wait, hold on. No, uh, Universal Soldier, not Universal Studios. You know, Dolph Lundgren when he's wearing all the ears of the soldiers and Van Damme's yeah. like, oh, gross. I know. Yeah, I mean, I remember that. Quite fun. I, that was one of the reasons why I watched Universal Soldier. That and Van Damme. <laughs> do, you, do you think this is the first time we've ever referenced Dolph Lundgren on one of these episodes? <laughs> Other than Masters of the Universe uh, movie oh, yeah. night. No, you're yeah. right. We did. We, I forgot. We did the Masters of the Universe episode. We totally Dolph Lundgren it up. I must break you. <laughs> <laughs> but, first, but first, I must uh, wear this uh, tight-fitting shirt and... Uh, Comb my hair really nicely. He has style. Dolph Lundgren has really uh, excellent style, and uh, I have to chalk that up to being the only action star with a decent uh, look. Yeah, he does. I'm not going to deny that. And he's still, he, I mean, yeah, you can tell he's aged, but he's still in great physical shape. He could still beat the crap out of people. Yes, he should be Felix the Cat if they do it as a live-action version, just like pulling uh, <laughs> machine guns out of his bag. I have something in my bag. You rocket launcher! And Emilio Jovovich should come in as Pippi Longstocking. Oh, yeah. Or who would be Betty Boop? No, that was actually on a funny... Who would be Betty Boop? Oh, gosh. Um, mm, I don't know. I always thought Jennifer Tilly could be Betty Boop. Oh, you're t- yeah. No kidding. She's the real-life version of Betty Boop. I actually work with someone who has a Betty Boop voice, and every time she's on the walk, yeah, I always want to go, boop, boop, be doop. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Anyway, yeah, no, um... Yeah, shit. No, that actually the whole Pippi Longstocking action star thing was actually it was on Funny or Die. You should look it up. Oh, okay. It went out. It's like presenting it to a studio, <laughs> and then he gets shot down at the end, even though it's like incredibly badass. <laughs> who is it? Anyway, who is it that shows up on every single? We we always do the back in tunes. We go, oh, it's uh, that guy again. He we we see his voice every single time. Why am I getting amnesia? This every episode, his voice shows up on one of the cartoons. Frank Welker. Frank Welker. Do you realize that we didn't actually have Frank Welker pop up in either one of these cartoons? I'm pretty sure the world's going to be destroyed now. We, we opened a Holy hell Oh, that we have. Don't worry, I'll figure it out. I'll just, I'll find Benedict Cumberbatch because he's going to be playing Doctor Strange. He has mystical powers now. Yes. Well, <laughs> what it does is destroy the drinking game. The only drink that you were able to take the whole episode was when you said yes, no. Uh, I did not uh, rewind or reverse anything. I didn't stumble bum, and we didn't bring up uh, his name. So, uh, everybody, sorry, you only got one shot in. Uh, so, um, I guess wait for the next episode. Uh, so, the next two episodes are going to be me doing my perfect Saturday morning, Jacob doing his perfect Saturday morning, and then we'll come back with our regular episodes. I, I really want to pick something special. What do you want to do on the next uh, episode? Oh, gosh. Oh, we haven't done... Bobby's World or The Tick. Oh, my God. We have to pick one of those. Uh, we'll pick one of those, and we'll pick a good, g- g- oh, my God. I did. I did it. Take another drink. I stumbled. Gunga, gunga, gunga. Gunga, gunga, Yeah, gunga, gunga. Gunga, gunga, That's some powerful stuff. <laughs> so I got that going for me, which is nice. 
Um, yeah, so we'll pick one of those. We'll find a good cartoon to go with it. And uh, whatever we do, we'll just do Bobby's World one episode, and we'll do Tick the other episode. That seems fair. And, of course, we'll have yes, guests course. coming in. Um, I do have one episode scheduled uh, with uh, the cartoon Mask. Um, everybody remembers that, the one the cars that would change into other things that was not Transformers. Um, and then I have another <laughs> one with the early years of Cartoon Network. Uh, and after that, it's just going to be me and Jacob focusing on very individual cartoons. And uh, after that, all the guests will just be doing their perfect Saturday morning. If you are interested in doing your perfect Saturday morning, message us on Facebook under Back in Tunes, which is our Facebook page for it all. Every episode, you can yeah. catch there. And uh, let me know if you're interested in guesting on an episode, because this is a show for the fans, by the fans. Of course. It's, you know, it's what they want. It's what they've asked us to do. Damn it, we'll do it. Yeah. We will take it all the way up to the White House. And we will let them know that that we <laughs> shit. Oh my god, jeez. Oh, Bernie Sanders was actually just in Vallejo not too long ago, but I did watch the live stream. Ugh. I can't comprehend all that in just one thing. <laughs> the White House should be like the Plaid House. I don't understand why it's white. It's it's too clean. Uh, I don't know how to do a Donald Trump voice. How do you do a Donald Trump voice? Oh, um, you sound like a whining little. Bitch, basically. <laughs> yeah, I can't. You know, believe, me, believe me, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna make this country great again. I'm gonna build a wall between the U.S. and Mexico. I'm gonna get Mexico to pay for it, even though they can easily go under it or climb over it. But still, they're gonna be paying for it, and I'm my own publicist. You know, you realize we lost our entire right-wing audience of this show. Actually, they probably lost it after we started talking about Phoenix the Cat because I guarantee you about 50% of the people listening to this were like, what do I care about some old cartoon characters not popular anymore? He's like 100 years old, man. That's stupid. Old things are stupid. And I want to say to you, learn your history, man, because no cartoons today could exist without the cartoons of the past. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, I know, because there's little to no animation left. Yeah. Practically, there's like really not too many new cartoons. Not really. It's I do like some new stuff, but I feel like right now we're hit a wall where it's too freeform, too strange, where the stories are sitting back while the wild and crazy outrageousness up front. Yeah, it's just like capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Back in Tunes. Uh, this is Michael saying, "Be excellent to each other." Jacob, send us out. All right. Namaste and good luck, you guys. Lift off. Let's go. Go. While we sit here awkwardly. Hey everybody, welcome to Comics on Infinite Earths. I'm your host, Michael. My guest this episode is Jacob. How's it going, Jacob? Oh, it's going just dandy. Super, you could say. <laughs> uh, if you know that song by Our Lady P, Superman's Dead, 
you might get a hint at what this episode's about. It's about... Tell him. Tell him, Jacob! Something very sad. Something that made little kids cry in the theater when they saw that scene. The death of Superman. Well, let's just say 20 years earlier it actually happened in the comics. So, um, yeah. yes, we are going to talk about... And this is going to be actually a trilogy of stories uh, we're going to cover... Um, actually, and it's about six months late. We said we're going to do this back in the fall. Death of Superman. Uh, and then we'll follow up later with Funeral for a Friend and then Reign of the Superman. And uh, so the episodes will be a little bit shorter this time. Probably won't be going a whole hour. But yeah. Um, thank you, Jacob, for being a guest on this episode. Uh, I apologize to everybody who's been waiting around for new episodes. It's just hard for me and William to get together and, and get an episode done. So we're going to have guests on for the second season. And hopefully be a little more regular. Eat your fiber, kids. Be regular. Oh, God. I definitely need to eat some fiber. God, I'm loaded. I'm fat. <laughs> I actually got a gut. I need to get rid of this. I need to start. Well, at least the weather's warming up, so hey. Yeah, well, weather warming bicycle. up for you, but it's been raining nonstop. I've been going to the gym, but I think there's some sort of depression I've been going through where I'm just eating more and more because it won't stop raining Oh, can you stand the rain? No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it rains 120 inches a year here. That's fucked up. I don't want that much. It's like, I love the rain, but I'm like, uh, sometimes you just need to start seeing other people like Timber and Johnny <laughs> Depp. <laughs> uh, you know, I was thinking about this today, and when Johnny Depp tries to be a serious actor, I, I have a hard time seeing him in that role. I think I have a depth perception problem. Badoomch. <laughs> yeah. I'm embarrassed that I just said that. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. Your depth perception is quite, uh, I mean, it's quite sound, but it still needs, might need a little work. I don't <laughs> All right, so let's get oh. into the story here. Now this, okay, we, we, we've seen three different versions of this. Actually, no, four different versions if you count Smallville. Um... So, Taking on Doomsday has four different iterations. Uh, we're going to talk primarily about the comic book version, but let, let, let's discuss real quick. Uh, so, did you watch the Smallville arc with Doomsday? Oh, gosh. I hardly remember it. I've only watched, like, a few select episodes of Smallville. Oh, okay. Sat through the whole yeah, thing, and I got to tell you, it was ten seasons, but it could have been five. Just cut out all those Freak of the Week episodes and stick to those story arcs. Uh, season eight. I think I believe it's eight, not nine. Um, he takes on Doomsday. Sam Witwer uh, plays Doomsday. And they, oh, cool. Yeah, they play him as a tragic character. He gets infected with like this virus, and he turns he eventually. like He fights it for many, many episodes, and then he turns into the Beast, and, and Clark has to bring him back to... Uh... Actually, I can't remember. I think he dies. I don't think he saves him at all, which, which is a oh, tragic wow. moment for Clark. Yeah. No, it's like all he wanted to do was help. He just wanted to save this guy, but it was just too late. Yeah. It's too late to apologize. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I loved. I mean, I love Sam. I mean, I love Sam Witwer too. Yeah. That. I mean, ever since seeing him in Battlestar Galactica, and then seeing him as the Apprentice in the uh, Star Wars uh, Force Unleashed video game, and just recently I saw him as Mister Hyde in Once Upon a Time. Uh, he kicked ass. I. Uh, yeah, he's a super nerd. Uh, I've I've heard that he just like that's his life. So he loves taking those kind of roles. What is the TV show? Being Human is that the one I'm thinking of? Yeah, I want to say it's Too Human or Being Human. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but uh, I heard it's really good. It's a, a, the adaptation on Sci-Fi from a BBC show. He was also in The Mist. Um, he was uh, he is the zombie in the very first episode of Walking Dead. 
uh, the one that's inside the tank that wakes up and, and he gets shot. It was not intended to just be a cameo. He was supposed to come back with the later arc, but Frank Darabont was fired, and that never happened. Oh, that sucks. I know, right? Um, yeah, eh. well, I found Walking Dead a little overrated. I gave it three seasons, and I'm yeah, like, yeah, I'm exactly. I finished the third season, and then when they left that hitchhiker on the side of the road so they couldn't take him, I was like, fuck you. And then you later find his body dead. And, you know, I was like, you know what? No. Well, you don't even find his body. I think you just find backpack in blood, and that's about it. Um, yeah, I couldn't oh, continue wow. with the show. I've heard it's gotten better, but I just I can't do it anymore. There's so many other shows I want to watch, like The Flash, which I just started yeah, season two. Yeah, also a great show. I um, oh god, wait till you get to season three. Oh good. Uh, I don't watch them on a weekly basis. I I've gotten over that. It's it's very difficult for me to wait around. So well, okay, the irony is I'm still waiting around, but I want to see all the episodes. I I, I um <laughs> per I you know I binge on them. Right. Hmm. If you no. watched all three, no, if you watched all three Purge movies. Right in a row. Does that mean you binged and purged? <laughs> I would, but I don't know. I have no desire to watch Purge. I'm done with it. Uh, I, was, I just, I mean, the first one I thought was kind of okay, and then they just really dragged it on with part two and three. I'm like, what the I don't know. They've been getting better reviews, better box office. So I'm gonna watch those eventually. Um, we're off. Yeah. We're off topic here. Uh, let's yeah. talk about so the anyway. animated movie Doomsday, which I was horribly disappointed in. Yeah, I. Honestly, I really didn't see much of um, a resemblance to the original story arc of the Death and Return Superman series at all. No, no. I was I was expecting the Justice League to show up. Uh, maybe not all the characters that were in the comic, but I expected the Justice League to yeah. show up at all. I, I didn't expect there to do... Okay, so it's a half hour for the death, a half hour for uh, Funeral for a Friend, and then you got a half hour where it's uh, they return. And it's not really the return, the return. It's It's their own modified version of it. And I was, I was actually disappointed because usually the DC animated movies are pretty spot on. They stick to the comic, and they're really exciting. Yeah. And I thought, this just sucked. I, I know. I was I was highly disappointed. I'm like, I can never watch it again. I It's – oh, God. What movie was so horrible that I can never watch again? Uh, lots of them. Not The Room. I, <laughs> uh, well, not The Room. No, The Room I can still get a laugh at because it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> but it's funny. Um, oh, God. It's okay, dude. Uh, oh, no, oh, it, it'll come to me eventually. But anyway, yeah, no, honest and honestly, uh, I know particularly this episode or discussing Doomsday. I know we tried to discuss this during um, when ba- after the release of Batman vs Superman and after you finally saw it because he showed up, you know. But again, this iteration of uh, Doomsday, I felt didn't really f- I, I, he didn't really seem as threatening as he should have been no, in the animated no, no. movie. Well, you know, the animated movies have changed, too. With Justice League Dark and Killing Joke, you know, they've been able to push the limits. I think Doomsday was probably even PG. Yeah, he dies, but they did it in the most, like, subtle, like, uh, Saturday afternoon cartoon kind of way. I don't think it had the weight the way the comic book does, or even the movie. Now, did we ever actually discuss a live-action movie? Oh, Batman vs. Superman? Yeah, but on air, or did we just talking between you and me? I I don't think we did. I think we kind of like split it up, like when we talked about the animated series of uh, Batman and the uh, animated series of Superman. We kind of like split up those oh, topics. Yeah, and but that their, was uh, that was when the movies came out, so I don't think we did. Um, but here no. it seems like a perfect opportunity. Yeah. Okay. But honestly, I really thought what it was a great. Uh, the movie introduced him in a smart way. You know, they just used Zod's corpse and modified it with uh, Superman's Kryptonian ship. Which actually made a lot of sense because it had, the, you know, the database of all this knowledge and technology, and Lex Luthor decided to create it out of a last resort against Superman in case, you know, he ended up, like, either not killing Batman or Batman ended up beating him. Yeah, uh, God out of control in Lex Luthor's mind, which 
if you kind of look at the movie, Superman is a little bit of a villain. Uh, you know, when you look at Man of Steel, he was destroying everything left and right, not really taking in the casualties in order to beat Zod. And I never really thought Zod was that bad of a villain, I mean, until the very end. Um, I had problems. I think most people did have some problems with Batman vs. Superman. I know some people who adore the movie. I know people who love Suicide Squad, and I, I didn't because it's nothing. It didn't feel like the comic book at all. Um, and I thought it was too PG. Which one? Suicide Squad? Yeah. I don't know about that, but I think I think they, the, the characters I thought were a little too likable. I mean, they're they're murderers, they're monsters. Yeah, yeah we love the villains, but at the same time, we're supposed to hate them because they're fucking evil. Well, it, it was <laughs> it was like a, it's like a chase movie. It's hard to make a chase movie with a lot of depth because you're constantly go 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 go. And theirs wasn't a chase; theirs was pursuit. So they're just constantly going down the street, and I just felt like, oh, I've seen this like 15 times now. All right, I yeah. got it. it Character representation I thought was very well done. It was. I, mean, I Harley still. I still don't understand why Will Smith was Deadshot. Not that he needs to be white, you know, just because he's white in the comics. But you have an excellent uh, hero slash villain in Bronze Tiger, which uh, personified beautifully by Michael Jai White in Arrow. Why yeah. is it Will Smith didn't play Bronze Tiger instead? I don't understand. I honestly, I just don't know. I thought they, oh, well, if it was anything, they need to shed more light on Deadshot. I mean, as far as live action goes. Yeah, well, he deserves his own movie. There was an excellent comic book uh, about him, about 2005, by Christos Gage. Um, yeah. Uh, it was like a four-part series. So it was really good. I think I think that's what they're actually trying to do at DC. But anyway, oh. uh, back to Batman vs. Superman. Yeah, I thought Doomsday was well done. He was like, he, you know, he starts off, like, when he's, like, growing in the tank. He starts off, no, like, no spikes, you know, like, a, you know, infant coming right out of the womb. Mm -hmm. But still, pretty gigantic and terrifying. Well, he and, and he evolved kind of, over the movie. Yeah, after get after going through pain and becoming more. Yeah, because I remember, um, if I recall correctly, like each time he gets hurt, he gets more powerful, and that's what they did in the movie. And of course, it made sense for him to uh, you know have like a heat vision and stuff because he's still Kryptonian, and he's on Earth no less. Right. So, and then of course, you know, killing him off with the Kryptonite also was a kind of a good way to finish him off because again, he's Kryptonian. Why wouldn't it kill Doomsday? <laughs> it, may, it would make no sense if it didn't. Right. Yeah. But again, I thought it was like very well done. He seemed uh, again. He was the original Doomsday was like more kind of a one and done kind of villain. I mean, there's not much to him other than his just mind is just filled with hate and rage. Yeah, but that's the problem is he's not a one and done. And I didn't know this in at first. Uh, he can't, he can't, keeps coming back. Now there's like army of Doomsdays, like tons of Doomsdays. And I'm like, well, Clone you just Doomsdays. Yeah, you've neutered. The power of Doomsday is like, well, every time he adapts. And I'm like, yeah, so he should be stronger. And it should always be, if you're going to bring him back, just make it one Doomsday, not tons and tons of Doomsday. Now there's just nothing special about it. They did that with a lot of the villains. They start off really, really strong. Like, look at Spider-Man's catalog of villains. Uh, a lot of those guys were hardcore, like, difficult to beat. And then they like, kept watering them down, watering them down to the point where they're just useless. They're beating one, uh, one issue. Oh, yeah, you're kind of right about that. Yeah, like Electro. Oh, like Holy shit. Yeah, Electro and Scorpion were serious villains, and then now they just walk in four pages, they punch Electro in the head, they, they spin his hands up in webs, and, and they're, you're done. I mean, I, oh, God, no. You look at him in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. How can you beat someone like Electro? Yeah, Damn, in they four used pages. Water. Yeah. yeah, of course, they used water to shorten him out. And then in the movie, it, again, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, he was almost on, he, they almost didn't beat him. Until they had to like reverse that big old charge, it's you know thankfully they you know Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker were both you know scientists yeah and you know intelligent still pissed about Andrew Garfield 
still pissed. Just finish the trilogy. Tom Holland looks like he's fun, but you finish, you follow. Oh, you fucking assholes! <laughs> no word of honor, anyway, really. Precisely, but yeah. Overall, I think uh, they might have more uh, plans for Doomsday later on. You know, in the Justice League Unlimited the yeah. animated series, he they pretty much had to like you know make him go brain dead in order to beat him, and that was through the Justice Lords. Hmm. I know the uh, you know there were two parallel universes where uh, Superman kills Lex Luthor because he's president. And he's out of control. And then um, Doomsday comes in, and the Justice Lords stop him. They intend to kill him, but they couldn't, so they, you know, gave him a lobotomy with Superman's heat vision. I didn't even realize he was in the animated series. So does that does that neutralize the whole point of him being in Doomsday? Does Doomsday exist outside of? Are they like Elseworlds? Like, they don't exi- exist in the timeline that we know? Because you know from Batman the Animated Series, it's a continued timeline. You, Superman is included, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, and then it kind of reboots with... Um, uh, what was that one that was between Brave and the Bold and uh, Justice League Unlimited? That really shitty one was all like anime inspired. Where the Batman, I think. The, bat- the Batman, yeah, yeah, the Batman. Yeah, so I figured right. maybe Doomsday is its own thing because you know their animated movies, uh, which have been excellent. Uh, my favorite being probably Flashpoint and the New Frontier, um, have been in their own yeah. contained world. Exactly, I know they're entirely different. They don't necessarily mesh in with, uh, you know, Justice League War or, or Justice League Dark or Throne of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. They do again. I like how they st- do these little standalone ones, or Dark Knight Returns, even, or the Son of Well, actually, no, I think Son of Yeah, I think the Son of Batman does take place within the same world as uh, the Justice League. Oh, okay, um, War and all that. All right, so but but it, when you see uh, Doomsday for the first time in the comics, I, I, I mean, again, I just started reading this series. Like what? I think late last year. Uh huh. And oh my God! I, again, Doomsday was just you know unbeatable. Nobody, nothing could have stopped him. Well, think of what a monster he was in the beginning when all he had, he had the restraints on. You know, he had one arm free. His goggles were blocking his vision. You know, he couldn't see his face. It was a true horror because you're like, what is under there? You know, for the first two issues, you just got like bits and pieces, and that's it. Yeah, he was just in a green hazmat suit. He's just, like, ripping through walls, tearing through buildings, going through towns, just smashing everything in sight, and nobody could have stopped him. Almost killed Blue Beetle. Almost took out the replacement Justice League. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. Because this is not in any other iteration. uh, Is the Justice League that um, is probably my favorite um, incarnation, which I don't think anybody else does. But I was a huge fan of the Bwahaha Justice League. With uh, You got Booster Gold. Um, you got Guy Gardner, who is the biggest tool, uh, Green Lantern. You got Blue Beetle, uh, Fire and Ice. Actually, wait, was Ice in this one, or is she dead? I can't remember. I think it was Fire and Ice, and then there was, I want to say Hawk and Dove. No, Hawk and Dove aren't in this one, I know no, that. Um, Fire and Ice were there. Fire and Ice were definitely there. Yeah. Uh, Maxima, which is the, uh, like the Wonder Woman of space, where she's always after Superman. She's in love yeah, with him. Yeah, she's a little brute. <laughs> she oh, of course she is. Um, and she then does, you she, have... She, she only fight, she, I want to say Bloodwind. Is I can't remember if that's the right guy. Bloodwind, you know the black guy with the red and white costume. I believe so. Yes. And then there was that one alien who could uh, read minds. I forget that one's name too. And basically, he uh, was like trying to locate, you know, any kind of, you know, you know, rational thought pattern within Doomsday's brain. But no, all he found was rage and hatred. Wait, who are we talking about? We're not talking about Mar- Martian Manhunter. Who has the psionic powers or telekinetic? It was oh, telepathic. gosh, I can't. Hold on, I have my comic book. Okay. I have my book. Let me find it. And uh, while right. while he's looking it up, let's just say this: the Justice League, um, it's not their strongest. It's not the big league that everybody wanted to see in 1996. You know, you got uh, there's no Aquaman. 
There's no Batman. There's no Wonder Woman. There's no. I don't. I really don't think Martian Manhunter's in this par, uh, incarnation. Um, the Flash isn't there. Uh, and and you got Guy Gardner, who's uh, a tough as nails, but not exactly the brightest Green <laughs> Green Lantern. <laughs> huh. Oh God, no! I mean, look what happens to him later. He tries picking a fight with one of the Supermen. Yeah. Um, I had a roommate who looked just like Guy Gardner. I mean, to the T. Oh my. I mean, I'll show you a picture later. He had the bowl cut. He was built the same way, same hair color, same face. Uh, less of an asshole, but turns out to be a lot more creepy. Later, you'd hear about all these things about him. You're like, ah, ew. Yeah, I know, right? It's like, yeah, he worked. He used to work. Never mind. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do this. But I'll tell you off air. It's it's bad. <laughs> um. Yeah, don't worry. I don't want to get sued in case for some reason it was a joke or he's wrong or I was wrong. Um. But yeah, uh, Blue Beetle gets the absolute snot beat out of him almost instantly. There was no way that he was going to last anyway. I mean, there's, against something like that, I always wonder why Blue Beetle's on a team like that because he always seemed like a third-rate uh, Batman. But I love him. He's one of my favorite characters, but uh, but he doesn't seem like he can do that kind of level of um, fighting. Oh, yeah, no. I I really didn't think so either. I mean, Blue, Blue Beetle in particular, especially against Doomsday, dude, you're going to die. Almost. Almost! Huh. But not necessarily. Well, um, and then of course, Blue uh, Booster Gold gets his costume completely destroyed. But I was still to this day shocked when I see Doomsday grab Booster and slam his head in a car door. How the hell did he not break his neck? I have no idea. It again, it was just so freaking. It was just, uh, again. Thankfully for that, what twenty first century technology, thirty first, twenty fourth. Regardless, it's very high tech, but still, it could only do so much. Yeah, the uh, did you find the character? Oh, I'm still looking. Uh, okay, I'm just getting through all the. All um, so right and now. of course, after this is when the Justice League would would be rebooted. Um, I think Wonder Woman became the main uh, leader. Uh, Martian Manhunter came back. I think you had the Ray. Um, shit, I can't remember who else came after that. But it was one of these things where I think DC saw an opportunity to rebuild the team because the sales were starting to flag. Uh, you know, the, the team got watered down anyway because Justice League Europe was going. I think Justice League Task Force. And then um, two years from this, I believe, is when they launched um, Extreme Justice, when everything was extreme. Um, and uh, Booster like Gold. Up. What's that? Were they all like juiced up? Extreme! Sort of. Booster Power. Gold had a huge. Look up a picture of Extreme Justice when you get the opportunity. You'll see Booster Gold in his massive armor suit, Blue Beetle in a new suit that's all black and like blue highlights. Um, I can't remember who else is on the team. I think Captain Adam and, and a couple others, but they would go after like like terrorists and so like not exactly like your main villains, um, but the guys on the outskirts that were extremely dangerous. Right. Yes. Oh, so they pretty much took out like the international terrorist crowd. Kind of like that, if I if remember correctly, but it only lasted eighteen issues, and, uh, and everybody thought it was stupid. I thought it was kind of cool, but I'm a huge Justice League fan. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, me too. I really hope they do a great job with the movie. I'm saying that much right now. I don't, but, I don't see it. I just don't see it. <laughs> fucking it up everywhere. I mean, well, Jeff Johns coming on board at the right time. I think probably will. Yeah. I um, mean, again, he's uh, again he's head of the DC movies. What he says goes, and he only has to answer to Warner Brothers president. Nice. Um, besides the Justice League, we do get help from Guardian. I remember him being part of it, uh, who was kind of a oh, yeah. obscure Metropolis hero, just a guy in an armor suit who would just help people. Real low-level, like, street crimes. Yes, he does. He actually, yeah, no, that's actually his role um, in the latest season of Supergirl, too. Really? Because he's not all golden. Yeah, he's not all golden blue. He's, like, uh, silver and black. What's the point of changing that? That doesn't make yeah, any no, sense. Just do it. Just make it more complicated better. Make, 
Yeah, I know. Although I will say, Supergirl is definitely w- one of the more colorful uh, shows of them. Yeah. Between that and Flash. Yeah, I just yeah, no, um, speaking of fan love, um, there is an episode. I think it's the second episode where Jay uh, Jay Garrick shows up, and they show Wally West, not Wally West. I'm sorry, Barry Allen and Jay Garrick running on the opposite sides of a wall to help a girl, and it's literally like the cover of the of the Flash issue. I think it was like 152 or something like that. Um, where they introduced the whole Elseworlds, uh, not or Elseworlds, Earth 2. Right, yes. And I was like this. <laughs> I know, I was like, that's, a pure, that's like a pure, that's just a moment of joy right there. I mean, seriously. Th- uh, oh, God, just seeing the old Flash from, like, the 90s show, you know, getting along with Barry Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, not to mention, it's the original, the original Jake Garrick Flash. That's the one that started out, like, when it was first, you know, introduced. Do you uh, have you seen the 1990 Flash series? Uh, yeah, I watched a few episodes of it when I was a kid. You should watch that again. If you watch that, it still holds up so well. I mean, there's some episodes where you're kind of like, man, could they dive into the you know DC universe instead of a generic villain? But if you're a watch it, let me know. We'll discuss it on this because uh, that's a that's a fantastic show. That and and, and other ones that are from that era that no one really talks yeah. about. Sable. I don't think anybody's ever seen Sable. It's all on YouTube. Um, not sure about that. Birds of Prey was a little bit of a mess, but I thought it was underappreciated, um, which got canceled pretty quickly. Yeah, I know it only had like one season. Oh, Dubalex, that's the guy's name. He's like purple and he has horns. Dubalex. What the fuck is that? You just make that up? I don't remember that character. Dubalex? No, he's the guy who. Yeah. D u b b i l e x. No idea who that is at all. He's purple, has like golden horns, wears like a like a red shirt, white. Like it's got an H. Nothing, dude. Kinda Nothing. Okay. Looking kind of lucky. <laughs> I have to look this up. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, he's the one basically. He was part of it as well. Yeah, I just and he well, was I like their psychic. That. Okay, that's weird. Um, and I forgot we also have the Supergirl and the alternate world Lex, the one with the full head of luscious red hair. Yeah, evidently that's supposed to be Lex Junior. Yeah, I think he's a clone or something like that, or alternate universe. I think. I think. Yeah, he is. He's a clone with uh, Lex Luthor's actual brain. Oh, that's oh. right. Lex was dead for a while, I think. I think he was he got really fat, like kingpin fat. And then he died or something like that. And then, yeah, I think Yeah, he died like, in a plane crash. Yeah. And this supergirl is not the supergirl that we know. It's not Kara. Um she's like some weird alien that could shape shift and she yeah, took on awesome. the persona of Kara Supergirl. Yeah, you know, that's what I saw too and she was Lex you know, and she was just so devoted to Lex Luthor. I'm like, God damn, what happened with this woman? <laughs> How the hell did you pick this guy? But, but ultimately, it gets to the end, you know, and most of Metropolis has just been destroyed. Uh, hell, everything on the way to Metropolis has been destroyed. Um, God, yes. Oh, we, my God. No, they couldn't stop him. Even Superman yeah. was just like, holy shit. Yeah. And, and basically, we get to the point where it's now everybody else has had the snot beat out of them or they're, or they're helping others. Uh, and it's down to Superman and Doomsday just pummeling the snot out of each other. Oh yeah, I know. And, and, and seriously, like even the like buildings around them were like crumbling. The gra- glass was shattering. It was you know there were you know tremors and shock. Yeah, it was fucking nuts. Oh and, man. Yeah, and we get down Again, to this, this point where he's got is. and his spikes. Does he evolve later? I feel like he gets bigger. Like the spikes are more prominent and his skin gets tougher. Uh, I could I'm right be wrong about that though. Uh, I don't think you're wrong about. That. I think. No, Brett, Brett, uh, Superman re- realized that they're part of his skeleton, so he starts snapping them and breaking them. Oh, but Superman yeah, 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 yeah. Crap kicked out of him. Yeah. Yeah, no, Superman's just like getting the crap kicked out of him. It's just intense. Like Superman's never fought in anyone this powerful. No. And not then even close. they both trade like the ultimate blow and kill each other. 
Yeah, it's one of those battles that you, you just hold your breath. You know he's going to die. Because I think they told everybody. I think it was in the news and on the newspaper and stuff like that. You know, that, uh, oh, oh DC's going to kill off their major hero. And you're like, what? No. There has to be some sort of loophole. And, of course, there was later. But at the time, you're like, just what? And they ship the final um, issue. In, well, not the final issue, but the last of this arc. In a black sleeve with a bloody Superman logo on it. And I remember my... Um, Uncle William, who was actually just a little bit older than me, he had a comic yes. book business at the time. He bought like fifty copies of it. Oh man, yeah. On, honestly, the impact it had in the comic books was just so massive on a physical scale too. Considering their battle, yeah, it was just trading blow for blow. Superman was not going to stop until this thing was, until this thing would die. And even when like even when they're like like you know Doomsday's unconscious, he's just like sitting there trying to like get back up, just going like, oh my god, is it dead? Yeah. Is it dead? Did I stop it? He's not even sure. Well, it shows a hero then, because, you know, Superman could have left. Maybe some other heroes could have stepped in while he rested. But I just don't see – maybe Wonder Woman, maybe um, Hal Jordan. You know, somebody big could have held off for a while, but I just don't think yeah. anybody was capable. Oh, well, it, it would have been nice if they had Shazam. I think Captain Marvel could have done some serious damage. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, God, yes. I, I mean, pretty much this Justice League, you know, the replacement Justice League weren't even real – me top tier one characters like if green lantern and wonder woman were there then they he definitely would have stood a chance he i don't think he would have died i mean wonder i mean i think um even the comic realm like he does have a weakness to magic kryptonians do have a weakness to magic yeah yeah unless you know unless shazam you know would equip him or wonder woman would equip him with some magic defying items then superman would be unstoppable well you should read kingdom come sometime because uh Shazam and Superman go at it to the death. It's amazing. Oh, does Shazam die? Uh, I, Shazam I can't die. exactly remember, but you need to read it. It's it's one of the best things I've ever read. It's it's epic. Alex Ross does all of the art. Uh, Kurt Busiek, I, oh. if I remember correctly, is the writer, and it's about twenty years from whatever that you know. I think it was in 1996. It's twenty years in the future, and everybody's like, who was our heroes? You know, they basically retired, they've moved on, and a new generation of heroes have come in, but now they're completely out of control, they're violent. It's kind of a commentary on the extreme actions, uh, you know, the, the like the Punisher and, and how everybody started getting, like, armor and more spikes and, like, little guys like Nomad, who was just like a sidekick to Captain America. All of a sudden, he had a shotgun and he was blowing people away. It was kind of commentary oh, on, on extreme comics at that at that time. Damn, dude, that's pretty nuts. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's one of the best things I've ever read, and it's kind of like it's a less nihilistic version of Dark Knight Returns. Wow. Oh, okay, that's good to know. Oh, anyway. Oh, so basically, yeah. And once Superman's dead, everyone's just like, "Holy shit, this actually happened!" Yeah. From everybody to um. Oh god, what's that doofus who owns the bar? What's his name? I forget. He was a very lovable character. Kind of wears this like kind of uh, old 1930s like you know. Like a little brawler kind of cap, like you know, a tough guy kind of cap, you know, something yeah. like a. Oh, you mean like the goon? <laughs> Was the goon in this? Almost looks like the goon. Yes, <laughs> I can't remember his name. No, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm sorry. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll talk about the second part of this later, uh, funeral for a friend. But let's just say this is not the end, of course, of Superman or of Doomsday, which I thought the Doomsday thing was a huge mistake. Uh, they do this a lot in comics. They they have it right. They do exactly what they need to do, and they don't know when to quit. They oh here we go again. Like this this Superman death of um, storyline is one that they would also repeat on a regular basis. They had to kill off some major heroes. So two years from that, I think is when they broke Batman's back. 
two years later is when they killed Hal Jordan in Final Night. Um, That's right. Yeah, and they're always oh killing Hawkman. They're right. always killing Wonder, uh, uh, not Wonder Man, um, Aquaman, Wonder Mar- Woman. Yeah, you know, Hawkman, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter are always dying. Uh, I don't think Wonder Woman's ever died. Am I wrong? I think, I don't know. Wait, wasn't she? Didn't she become a White Lantern in Blackest Night? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because the ones who could truly become true White Lanterns were people who have died before, which were like you know Superman and huh. Green Lantern, you know Hal Jordan and all of them. Yeah, man. So I'm pretty sure she was. Be- she was one. I can't believe it's been so many years since Blackest Night. That was like six years ago, seven years ago. I just, it shocks no. me that years are flying by. Yeah, definitely six. Definitely, it, definitely. I know. I remember it coming out in 2011. But yeah, no, dude, it was a great storyline. Yeah. Anywho, yeah, honestly, again, you could just see the impact this all had. You know, you see Lois just like clutching Superman uh, in her arms, just like crying and breaking down. And then you'll see how it affects her later on. Like, this is the, that, I mean, honestly, in Batman vs. Superman, I wanted to see her, I, I mean, Amy Adams, she's a great actress, but I wish i kind of seen her, like, really broken down. Like, you know, when you see uh, Russell Crowe break down, when he sees his dead family in Gladiator. Like, yeah. he comes there, sees his wife and son hanging, you know, he's just, like, sobbing. There's saliva coming out of his mouth, snot coming out of his nose. <laughs> he's just broken. He sees the, the corpses of his, uh, uh, you know, his wife and son just hanging from the little, per- from the uh, arch. Oh, just so fucking awful. That's the that's what I wanted to see in Batman vs Superman. I mean, the theatrical version was a mess. The Ultimate Edition definitely filled a lot of gaps and was definitely seemed more character than it was actual plot. Yeah, I think personally uh, to me. So the next episode, we're not actually going to do Funeral for a Friend. We're going to take a gap because I don't want to do too many DC. I've been doing DC like crazy, even though I love DC. Like I'm a, I'm a freak for DC. I'm good with Marvel, but I'm a fanatic on DC. But yeah. Uh, the next episode we do of this, we're going to discuss some Valiant comics. I sent you a shit ton of Valiant comics, so we're going to discuss those. Uh, old school Valiant, yeah, by the way, Death not Mate. the stuff in the beginning, not the, the newer stuff. I haven't read that yet. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, like Deathmate. Yeah. Well, you've got tons of Archer Armstrong. I wish I'd got you Quantum and Woody, which is my Exo favorite. Man of War. Yep. Uh, Solar, Man of the Atom. Bloodshot. Uh, yeah. Um, Harbinger, uh, Armorines. Um, God, there's a lot of Shadow Man was great. Uh, I don't think I sent you everything. I sent some to my friend Avery because I didn't think that you'd want to read all of them. But um, that is it for us here. Uh, Check us out on Facebook under uh, Retro Rocket Entertainment. And uh, one day we'll have a theme song for this show. But until then, we'll just use songs that are connected to the episode. (laughs) That's the only thing I think of. Right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I will have to say this for – I do have to say this for uh, regarding funeral for a friend. I mean, uh – I could see why we why we should skip it. I mean, it's really it really hasn't as impacting as you know what goes on in Reign of Superman and the Return of Superman, yeah. because it's them, everybody else mourning. You know, everybody like all the side characters are like you know trying to like keep things like steady and stable while Superman's dead, and they're just trying to revive him. Uh-huh. But then, like near then near the end of the series, that's when you that's when you, they finally start to reveal you know Eradicator, Cyborg, yeah, yeah, and uh, Steel and Superboy. I mean, we could condense it into one episode, but I think it's almost too much. But we'll see. If we yeah. find that we're only talking about Funeral for a Friend for like 15 minutes or whatever, we'll combine it with another episode. But, yeah, we'll do Valiant next, and then we'll continue with this trilogy. And then uh, who knows what else we'll hit this year. Um, you and I were talking about um, Judge Dredd. I want to definitely talk about Dredd. I got the first arc for that. Um, oh, yeah. I've got, like, the complete case files. I got volumes one through five. Holy shit. Um, yeah. Oh, no, I found them pretty cheap on Amazon. 
Yeah, I can't. I can't think of what else what we discussed, but there, there's something else. Uh, some other stuff out there. We can. Oh, Warlord. I want to talk about Warlord definitely, and and maybe his uh, conti- Mike Grell's continuation of sorts in uh, Dreadstar, which is like a sci-fi oh, version God. of Warlord. Oh wow! So basically, like it's mass- it's like the Masters of the Universe movie. Kind of. It, it's <laughs> well, Warlord is more sword and sorcery, whereas um, uh, Crystar takes not Crystar, Dreadstar takes place in space. You got spaceships, we got swashbuckling kind of high adventure in space. It's it's more it's closer to Star Wars than um, Master Universe. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely more. Pi- it's definitely more like pirates. In yeah, pirates in space. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but until then, uh, thank you everybody for this episode, and Jacob, thank you for guesting on this one. Oh, hey, hey, no problem. It was very super. All right, everybody, have a good night. Oh, that's that's funny. Ha ha. (laughs) 